you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Always goes for it on fourth down. From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's Around the NFL, the flagship program Sunday recap. And uh, I am Dan Hansis, and I have Greg Rosenthal and Mark Sessler here. How are you, boys? Feeling frisky. Oh. I know what that means. Greg and I spent a lot of time together uh, today, as we do on these Sundays. Yes. How was it? Well, in the Thursday night uh, recap, the bond, not just um, because of our adopted team, we'll get to them later, is just going stronger and stronger. I know you don't like it. You want animosity. You try to bring us apart. It's a burgeoning issue for you, Dan. (laughs) Let us let let me send me a photo of the two of you hanging out in a social setting. And then I'll start. We, we are work. always. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the same social the settings as with you as with the you. The fact it's that you're of us. you can We're get along with group. each other at work should not be something that's celebrated I or made I, for me to feel uncomfortable. What, we I'm can, happy you guys like each other in the office. We can it's choose a change. celebrate each other in any way we wish. It's a change. I appreciate it. Well, how is it a change? Be the change you want to see in the world. You know who We're, said that? Mike Greg. Tyson. Well, Greg has said it multiple. Yes, uh, we're just pushing back on a little narrative. Don't, don't. But you're the you made the narrative. I'm happy you guys are falling in love and agree with you all sound the thrilled. same things. You sound absolutely <laughs> thrilled with the development. There's nothing better than a pos- a podcast where everyone agrees with everyone at all times. And if I have to be the guy that slides into this little bond, I will. Wow, what a setup! As Razor Ramon once said, "I'm the bad guy. If I must be, I will be." For our listeners. And, you know, the referee in Detroit, let's hear him. Attentional grounding, offense number seven. It's a 10-yard penalty. I'm talking to America here. Excuse me. (laughs) And that's cool. He's talking to America on this podcast. We talk to the world. Mm. Yeah. So, yes. Plus one point, ref zero. I think it's it's great. I think it's great that you guys have this bond in year 11 (laughs) that's hitting a level that we hadn't seen before. It's an, inter- it's an international bond now, according Speaking to... Speaking of international, we'll, we'll have an announcement coming up soon. Leave it there. Leave it there. I feel like our, our listeners could guess the general gist, but there are specifics. Just leave it. Sometimes just leave it, Greg. Leave, leave it. it in the air. Leave it. You did the same thing on the Thursday show when Mark and I were like laughing about that thing. I don't even remember what you're talking about. You know the thing? Yeah. You remember of, the thing. A lot of people have... Uh, <laughs> They've inquired what the, where the giggles came from, and it's like let's, let's sometimes deep, just let the you let the thing corpo business. You let the yeah. thing in the air. All right, week two, Sunday, lots of football. I think we just got to get to it. Greg, you ready to get to it? Please, let's do it. Starting where we must start. The game is actually in the same building where that referee had that little America quip. I wish I knew his name. I actually typed the officials. I said, um, I can get that for you. I tried to. Good luck, um, because it just said on Twitter, I typed it in, X, excuse me, the quote, waiting for one tweet saying who the ma- what the man's name was. Mm. Did you try Google? Did he try the That's game stupid. book? 
That's so, way too so far. So the effort became too much. Right. After, it was a like, it was a surge. After the was the it reliable landscape of X didn't provide what you needed. Come on, I'm seeing um, I'm seeing Alex Kemp lead official. Is that Kemper? That game. Yep, I like Kemper. Alex Kemp. Kemper's got a good personality. Uh, <laughs> back to Ford Field. Hutchinson is back in the game for the Lions. Gino from the shotgun with Walker beside him. Three wide receivers in the game. Gino is looking, looking. Now he throws far side. It's locking. Does he reach the ball across? He does. Yeah. It's over, yes. baby. Oh. Touchdown. Hey-oh. Seahawks. Tyler Lockett on a little pass out into the right side flat. Reaches the ball across the pylon. He scores. They're going to check to be sure. But all you got to do is get the ball across the top of the pylon. Hell yeah. And he touches it. He did it. And he's good for a first down. He did it. Knee out of bounds. All right. We got it. Game over. Did he say my hero? It was worth hanging in. Well, we don't need that. That's what I do. Okay. All right. Here we go. Steve Rabel and Dave Wyman with the call. K-I-R-O. The Seahawks almost let it slip away at Ford Field, blowing a 10-point fourth quarter lead, but they won the overtime coin toss. Then won the game when Gino connected with Tyler Lockett, old reliable, who connected with the pylon. Final score, Seahawks 37, Lions 31. Greggy, great back and forth affair and a huge lift for Seattle after week one's disappointment. An awesome game between these two teams for the second straight year. It was 48 to 45 last year. This one just as exciting. And as much as I want to honk about Gino, and we, and we can a little later, I just think Tyler Lockett's one of those guys that is going to be a legend in Seattle for the rest of his life. What is this, his 10th year in the league? That he's a bigger deal to his team than you can possibly imagine. And to me, this was such a classic Tyler Lockett game. He he drew a PI that led to a TD early. And then 24-21, fourth quarter, early, Seahawks, Trailing third and 10, big spot 20. Uh, I'm sorry, he, they were trailing by four at the time. Trailing by four, third and 10, big spot. Need that first down. Lockett creates so much separation, wins early in the route, gets open for Gino, gets the first down. Very next play, gets open immediately for Gino, who drops it in the bucket on a beautiful touchdown pass. And then fast forward to overtime when he needs someone to get open and make a play, it's Tyler Lockett. And so he doesn't jump off the box score, but it was such a smart veteran game by Gino Lockett and DK Metcalf, who was fighting through an injury to survive without their two starting tackles against this Lions team. All right, so it's a, such a such a week two type performance in general with the NFL, where there's this bounce back and we saw from Seattle and Gino looks like he played great. Like, I, I, I have a question because my takeaway from watching the Lions against the Chiefs uh, in the opener was, wow, this defense has transformed. It's different. It's changed. The secondary especially. And I'm looking at the numbers today. It's like, what happened to Detroit's secondary? Well, let's let Dan Campbell start by maybe uh, addressing some of that. You know, we had our opportunities there again. Man, take the turnovers away. All of a sudden, man, we're in control of that game like we should be. But, but ultimately... You know what? They got the ball out. We didn't. And uh, hmm. we put a tremendous amount of stress on our defense, you know, when you do that. And and we did. We we had some, man, you know, we, we had some really good opportunities that we just didn't capitalize from. And, uh, look, I, I know it stings, and those guys are disappointed. I'm disappointed. The staff is. But, my gosh, man, this is uh, this is good. You know, we'll get a little humble pie here. And uh, we got a real good opponent coming in next week. And, uh, you know, they, they run it as good, if not better, than those guys, and they have better weapons.
Mm. I uh, usually think Dan Campbell's pretty straightforward. That was uh, not being straightforward. His defense. <laughs> he he was, said it was good. His defense was bad. I think he's doing the thing. It's the Parcells thing too, and and he once uh, played for Parcells. Where you pump them up a little bit, like the people that really need to hear it, um, the negative stuff, you don't say it to them after a loss. It was on their defense. Yes, the the offense turned it over. That was the de- difference in the game because otherwise I think the Lions could have put up 50 to, today. Uh, but the defense had one quarterback hit the entire game. That came on a play where Geno Smith thought that he had to take a sack no matter what, and it would have uh. been... Uh, the play that people remember Gino on this game for, he played like 50 perfect snaps and then ran around and took a 17-yard loss because uh, he didn't want to stop the clock, even though it was the two-minute warning right before they gave the ball back to the Lions late in regulation. That was the only time anyone touched Gino the whole game. And yes, Gino did a great job navigating the pocket. He got rid of the ball pretty well, but their pass rush was pretty much absent. The only play Aiden Hutchinson made was like a, a screen pass that he tipped. I mean, the, the Seahawks out-schemed them. They could have had more points in this game too. So neither defense covered themselves in glory and the Lions didn't make any plays on defense. Uh, Gino referred to as the adversity killer mm. uh, after this game. And by the way, the uh, opponent coming up next is the Atlanta Falcons, a team that obviously loves to run uh, the football. That's Did he just say they had better? The Atlanta Falcons had better skill players than the Seahawks. Weird little. Weird. Uh, it's DK Metcalf who called uh, Gino the adversity killer. Um, so yeah, that was um, after all that disappointment in Week One to to be able to rally back uh, the way they did. And on the line side of the ball, um, the the end of this game because they. They had a pick six, Jared, Jared Goff, I understand, in this game. And, and how did they get back into the game? Uh, take me through that. Right. So they were up by four, as I was mentioning, uh, 21-17, going into the fourth quarter. The Seahawks end up ripping off two touchdowns in short order. The first, the pass from Lockett. And then Goff on a throw that Campbell said was more of a indecisive route by the running back, which was Jameer Gibbs. I didn't see that, but... Injuries really did affect the Lions. They were without their left tackle, Taylor Decker. And for the most part, that was fine. And then they lost David Montgomery in the game, who had a costly fumble too. And the Montgomery injury did hurt him because they they had a bad pass protection play right before Goff threw that interception where he took a sack. And then he seemed a little spooked and got rid of the ball a little too quickly, even though pressure wasn't there. And they blamed it on Gibbs, but I don't know. It was just looked like a bad throw and kind of one of those Goff gets spooked after that long interception uh, streak ended. So their injuries mattered, and they also lost uh, Vitae, their their offensive lineman, mm. uh, to what did not look like a good injury during the game. So that, that was a couple key losses. And that's who they are. I mean, like, like their offensive line is the core of, I think, one of the huge reasons that, you know, up until today, Jared Goff was without an interception. That streak is broken. That was very costly. Like, I thought I was sort of expecting Gibbs to make a leap in this game or, or soon. And it's like seven carries for 17 yards on the ground. Is he just not fully there yet? They, uh, yeah, they didn't really do much on the ground in general, but you can kind of see why they like Montgomery. Gibbs also busted up Seattle on a couple nice choice routes. Like, I'm not that worried about him, but you saw why he was on the ground. I do uh, want to give Pete Carroll just a little bit of juice, though. Goes Go goes for a fourth down on that drive uh, in, in, the middle of, in the middle of the third quarter in his own end. It's the second straight week we've seen some of these old coaches, including Pete, going for it on fourth down. I think he, he knew his offense had to carry him today, and then they went for it. And give Pete 
also some juice. Man's in his 70s now. That intentional grounding that led to the uh, I'm talking to America line. He was on fire. He was on fire. Was a terrible, terrible. Like a call. man 40 years as junior. So, uh, Pete, it's a never-ending flow of optimism and energy. Very vivacious. Extremely. <laughs> and a very nice win for the Seahawks. And a tough one for Detroit, uh, who fall to one and one. I do want to hear uh, Jaron Reed just quickly for you guys, who in the locker room after the game was wearing a blue ski mask. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who's trying to make the blue ski mask a thing in Detroit, and all these fans who were so loud. Greg Olson said it might have been the loudest stadium he's ever been in, especially when they made that comeback. A lot of people show up with the blue ski mask, but Jaron Reed brings it out in the locker room. <laughs> That's the risk it, for the listeners is a dance there's a huge dance in the locker room. <laughs> Jaron Reed's got the mask on. Yeah, I didn't like the the premise of it, which was uh, Gardner Johnson said, uh, you know, our defense, we, you know, we're villains or something like that. So we, let's lean into it. I don't look at the lines as villains in any way, even if you want to be the bad boys. I like them as a heartwarming, lovable group. So mm, I'm yeah. fine with the blue mask going away. It's not my thing. Today today they robbed their own offense. So that's not how crime works if you're a smart criminal. Mm. Well, you got to move on from there because there's no coming back. Uh, I think I should maybe. Maybe I should move on from the, the whole evening after that. <laughs> Jim Nance had some howlers today where just some different play on words where Nance is, I think he's, just leaning into certain elements of his uh, play-by-play that just ground the whole telecast to a halt. It's very concerning to me that the first place you went after my hideous comment was a Jim Nance uh, parallel. (laughs) That's not a good trajectory. Let's head to Atlanta then. You'll like this better. Ball at the seven. (laughs) Coup to try the field goal to give Atlanta the lead. And the crowd is cooing. (laughs) Which has become kind of the norm here in Atlanta. And this will be right at 26 yards. He's hit already today from 24, 33, and 39. That's going to put it right on the 15, so it'll be 25 yards. Pinion to hold, McCullough to snap on the left hash. Young way for the lead. Snap, spot. Kick is up, and it is perfect. And Atlanta's in front with 57 seconds left. Okay, West Durham with the call. WZGC. <laughs> Try to contain yourself there on the on the radio call, please. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, Bijan Robinson ripped off a seven-yard run on fourth and one. That set up Kuz twenty-five yarder with less than a minute to play, and the Falcons rally for a twenty-five twenty-four win over the undermanned Packers at the Big Bends. I'll call it that. Mark, it appears as if Bijan or Bajan. Uh, is the immediate difference maker we all expected him to be. Looks great. Um, cons- through the offense having a lot of up-and-down moments over the last two weeks, it's not ever been anything but consistency from Bijan Robinson, and he is. In, he, I think his role just grows weekly. It's inevitable that we see less of anyone else from the backfield. He's just that powerful. I mean, I want to mention how we got to that moment, though, um, that kick, because I thought the Falcons, two-thirds of the way through this game, I was sort of imagining this show, and um, mentioned to Greg that I thought we probably going to get verbally lashed. We were for nervous. Our, nervous, our enthusiasm. nervous about this Falcons. We were nervous about what big old mean bully Dan was going to do to us. And there was reason for That's it. That's terrible. <laughs> you guys have a bad attitude about that. Okay, we're well, just having this. fun it's with a, it. It's are okay. Having fun. It's separate, okay. Separate of this, this having this conversation again. Separate of right. that. The Falcons were not looking like um, 
the hype machine that we had been discussing over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Desmond Ritter, really up and down, and it's just like they weren't the sum of their parts. Um, I thought they grew up today a little bit. They evolved, and I, I, it has a lot to do with Arthur Smith for me. They were down 12 points in the fourth quarter. Um, they reel off 13 consecutive, uh, scored on their final four possessions, and part of it is, you know, they're down 24-22 just before the two-minute warning, and they're at that fourth and inches situation, and a lesser coach might say, let's just uh, go, the, go field goal here. Instead, Arthur Smith does not want to give the ball back to Green Bay. On fourth and inches, he dials up that Bijan Robinson run. Um, previously in the game, when they were down 24-12, to 12, they had a fourth and four from the Packers' six. Again, he's like, I'm going to trust my offense. And on that play, Desmond Ritter rolled out, ran into the end zone for a score. So it's like Arthur Smith, foot on the gas over and over, trusting his skill position players to grow up. And that move to have Robinson do that, milk that clock down, and it put Jordan Love, who had a really particularly great game today in general, mm. into a tough spot. He laid about a minute to operate after that and looked lost. Like that, the Packers offense couldn't do anything at that point, and Atlanta completed the comeback. And there's a lot to say about the Packers' young receivers, about um, the ups and downs with Desmond Ritter, about in general, I think, where this Falcons offense is. But I kind of love that I think what Arthur Smith is building is coming into focus to some degree. This would have been an easy one had that final like 20 minutes of the game gone differently to be like, the Falcons are half-baked. I, I think they grew today. This is the recipe. Now, they should get this win at home when the Packers don't have David Bakhtiari, which is, that yep. was surprising. Aaron Jones, not there. Christian Watson, not there. Elton Jenkins leaves during the game. So you could argue that's their four best players on offense. Yeah. Unless you want to throw Jordan Levin as one of their best players on offense. But they also did exactly what the Falcons are supposed to do. They dominated this game in the line of scrimmage, 446 yards to 224. That's a, that's the profile of a game. That's not close. 78 plays to 47. That's them wearing down. And so maybe it's not that surprising they had a fourth quarter. So maybe this game shouldn't have been as close, but you still see what the Falcons are. 45 carries, 4.7 yards per rush. There's pro progress here. I thought it was kind of a bad game plan last week, and Smith was defensive about it. And now it makes more sense. Here's B. John Robinson. He's leading the game in team in carries. That makes sense. He has 23 touches. That's uh, you're going in, or 22 touches. Excuse me, 23 touches. That's going in for 172. The right direction. Kyle Pitts still is lives somewhere, but not on this roster. But you got Drake London more involved with seven targets. He had a touchdown. Just, you know, I'll have to watch the game. But I know Ritter started very poorly. And, and depending on, you know, who's watching the game and how you want to see it, I was I was reading that there could have been many more potential turnovers for Ritter if, if, if the bounces go against Atlanta. But. I'm not here to rain on the parade. You guys watch. No, no, because I think I think Ritter is the parade stopper. If if you don't get he threw, you know, he threw his first career interception today. Um, he also threw a pass right into the arms of Quay Walker that like Quay Walker's going to be thinking about that all week. He, he should not have dropped it. He should have had three picks. Um, he mm. is really inconsistent throwing the ball deep, but he did. They did. Arthur Smith kept trying and he had a couple deep connections that made a difference in this game. But you're kind of riding that Ritter wave. I'm not sort of selling him as the light bulb in this operation. This, this was nice, though. I mean, it's a it's a comeback victory. I think this team is built to play from ahead. All teams are. But this team is especially that would be my only um, concern around Atlanta, because I think this running game, I think we all know is for real. And if the defense can play at a certain level, I don't know if this was a real test. Um, in week in week two, because Green Bay was so banged up, the Panthers in week one. I don't know about their defense yet, but 
This has been they're a two and zero though. Yeah, yep. you can't take that away. That's a you can't start any better. It's been a perfect setup to start the season. Two two home games like this, where you get the Panthers the first week, and then the Packers. I think are a tough opponent, but but with the injuries that they had, it's massive. The, the David Bakhtiari situation uh, for the Packers, which has been ongoing for years now, literally years, and um, we were trying to decipher it, Greggy, at the end of the summer, leading into the season, and then we thought maybe veteran rest days actually did mean that it was just a veteran rest day because then he played last week. This week, not around, and, and now LaFleur adds a little more context to it, and you realize really what the Packers are up against with one of their most important players. So Bacciari, was that uh, a turf? You're going to – no. I, don't, I, I mean, we all know that Dave's been dealing with this, and so, no. So could this be a thing where he doesn't play anything? Uh, you guys, I, I, I'm not going to get into that. Like, we all know this has been – this is two years now. So I'm not going to get into it. It's probably going to be like this from here on out. Hmm. He was at, he was being asked if Bakhtiari doesn't play on artificial turf now, if that's going to be, and maybe it's only at home games at Lambeau and uh, road games on grass. We'll see. Obviously, it's tender situation. Let's uh, any other thoughts on the game, Mark? I would just say that when you're yes, you were without those guys, but Jaden Reed, really nice game today. Two touchdowns. Dontavian Wicks. Um, making big plays. It's like they, they're just so young that like David Bakhtiari feels from like eight years ago to me. I know he's so important to them, but it's like they are growing this young offense. And I thought the Jordan Love, like after two games, I'm sold. Like this guy can play. Mm. I mean, they they kind of fizzled out over the final three drives. Um, that didn't that wasn't a great look. But like Jordan Love was making plays all over the place. I think we need to represent the Packers fan base here because behind the glass before we started, I was talking to Randy, Big Funk, and... Yeah, I was venting a little bit. Yeah, he was pissed, and that's good. Tell me what you were, what were you saying to me uh, behind the glass? Well, I, <laughs> I said some things along the likes of Joe Barry should walk home. Yes. Walk back to Wisconsin. There was a moment in the game that I think really stood out where uh, Campbell, our uh, all, all-pro linebacker, lined up against B. John Robinson. It's like you can't be making those kinds of calls mm. that late in the game against someone that explosive. And then also, it was you know it was really hard because AJ Dillon just he can't like go more than five yards or something without tripping somehow. And it's like I get it, <laughs> he's the big bruiser, he's the big truck. He's a good backup running back, but yeah, but no, it's like if, 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 he's, if he's your Let truck, if he's your truck, but your truck <laughs> blows a tire every four yards, it's like it's frustrating. You got a it's problem, just, a vehicle problem. You got a problem, and the young guys look great. Right. And I mean, it's that's that's saying one thing because everyone's young on that team. But I mean, it mm. it, it was just. It was tough, man. That and those two big interceptions that the guys they gotta get. You know, it's Jair. That, the Quay Walker one was just like that was tough sitting there. But Jair had a that's a t- that's a touchdown. That's a pick six, and it's like you can't if you're gonna talk all that and you're gonna you're gonna have that persona, you're gonna carry it on the field. You gotta back it up, and it's I'm I'm gonna be honest. He was getting cooked for a good part of this game by a lot of the the receivers. Interesting. The uh, so, all right, Joe Barry. Is pot- you, Funk. potentially yeah. the offseason sin, though, that uh, sets this team back. Because I was curious. This was a good li- early litmus test of is this Packers evens any different because they haven't stopped the run for three straight years. This is as tough a test as you can get. And in this game, no, they really weren't any different. They did not stop the run. Uh, let's head to the big chlorine tank where the Chiefs are looking to get off the mat after a frustrating week one loss. Third and three, Mahomes and the Chiefs at the Jaguar 9. 7-6 Kansas City. 11.42 to go third quarter. Single back McKinnon in front of Mahomes this time. Snap back to Mahomes. Rolls to his right side. Now throws it for Kelsey. Wide open in the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. The 47th time 
that Patrick Mahomes has found Travis Kelsey in the sweet nectar of the end zone. That's an all-time Kansas City Chiefs record quarterback to a pass catcher. Kelsey's back. Mitch Holtis, WDAF. Uh, Kelsey caught that touchdown pass. It was the go-ahead and uh, eventually game deciding score for the Chiefs, who don't really surge again for the second straight wake on offense, but it was enough to take care of the Jacksonville Jaguars, 17-9 um, in a rematch of the AFC Divisional Playoffs last week. Uh, boys, the this game, I kept on waiting uh, for it to achieve liftoff. It never really happened, uh, and Kansas City had three early turnovers in this game, and the Jaguars had multiple opportunities on offense, including a first-and-goal first situation where they couldn't punch it in. Uh, and in the end, it was one of those games where both head coaches are saying, man, I wish we would have played better, but hmm. one side gets to go home with a win, and it was the visitors from Kansas City. These uh, Trevor Lawrence passes into the back of the end zone where Zay Jones, like, you know, if you're half an inch, two inches different in a different position, it's a touchdown. I think another one to Calvin Ridley, similar situation. It's like this game came down to the, those plays, I thought, for, for, for Jacksonville because I'm watching a Chiefs offense that, is still waiting to get on track. It's nice to see Sky Moore show up a little bit more. He 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 played a ton of snaps last week and had zero production. Um, Kadarius Tony caught all five targets. I guess that's a positive. Kelsey caught just four of nine, and he seemed so steamed during this game. I might they kept cutting to him, just like freaking out on the well, field. Well, it should be said that everyone was steaming because I believe it was around hundred degrees. Well, there's that side. I'm, I'm saying more temperament, right? right. Well, which could also lead to temperament changes. The if you climate, want to talk your shit, talk your shit. Yeah, climate yeah. can really yeah. lead you to be more amped yes. up and deal with frustration. It's happened to us. Yes. Remember our draft live show. I mean, I was a mess by the end of the year, too. Um, yeah, a lot of frustration on both sides of the ball. I want to point out also that the Chiefs, in addition to the three turnovers, um, had a ton of penalties in this game. 12 penalties hmm. for 94 yards um, and a lot of players cramping on the field. I kind of hate that. Like, you know, grew up in the Northeast. Like, football to me is the leaves falling and some crisp uh, Christmas in the air. It's also week two that feels like it, it makes it even tougher. I think that I think the the weather and the elements absolutely played a played an effect in these offenses struggling. And, uh, yeah, the, the Lawrence side and the near misses, that's that's frustrating. On the positive side for one of the teams here, um, Chris Jones came back and had an immediate impact in this game. Um, so you have you have him in the mix now uh, on the negative side for the Chiefs. You have Juwan Taylor, who started his career with the Jaguars. His homecoming was terrible. He was penalized five times, benched for a series, flagged twice for false. Wow. Flags, once for an illegal formation and twice for holding. So it's just it's just not even there. The whole game was a little bit like, man, like it's, even, a, it's a tough spot for the number one overall pick in our draft. Yeah. The Zeusers. I was I was <laughs> waiting for this game to take off. It just couldn't couldn't get it. And even Iron Eagle, the normally dependable Iron Eagle after the Kelsey touchdown, his quote, Kelsey finds a blank space for the score, referring to the Taylor Swift. Song. And I'm just like, at this point, it's already I know there's a relationship versioning here. Go deeper in the catalog for me. I don't. If you want to impress me, like, oh. go a little deeper than yeah. But space. you want to you want people to get the joke. No, you don't. You want to go so deep that only the real ones get. I mean, it. I'm not That's sure. my take. I, on it. I don't know if Ian Eagle would be the bad beat by Eagle. Yeah. He's a Swifty potential. But he does well. He does very well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, if if uh, Kelsey's knee is still bothering him, 
you wouldn't know it because he punted the ball into the end uh, from the end zone mm. in celebration. He but only four catches on nine targets for 26 yards. So to miss opportunity Smith is watching Chiefs games now. Sorry, Greg. Like, I don't know. I haven't really done the necessary deep dive if this is even a real thing. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. Yeah. Uh, even Jason Kelsey was asked about it, and he, he was not going to be talking. Uh, it's a missed opportunity. Jaguars could have put the Chiefs at 0-2, yep. could have had a tiebreaker, could have been two games up on the Chiefs, and held the Chiefs to 17 points. It's only seven times in the Mahomes era that they've scored 17 points or less, and you don't even get a touchdown. You're an offensive team. It's a good That's, call. It's a disappointment. And you, it's a, at, in your building, and you circled it as a revenge game after the playoffs and you have the chiefs still finding themselves. This is when you want to get the catch the chiefs and you didn't. So yeah, not a good performance by the Jaguars who only had 271 total yards in the game. All right, let's take a break and then we'll welcome in our weekly guest. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome back. We keep on rolling now, and it's time for the Sunday Drive, presented by the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Pat Ricard, Gus Edwards in the backfield, Lamar Jackson under center. Third down and three, or third down and ball game. Give us to Edwards, up the middle. He's got a hole. He's got a first down, and with 110 left to play in Cincinnati, the Hayes in the barn. There it is. And the Ravens will pick up win number two in the 2023 season. <laughs> I, I think the Cincinnati Bengals fans know the Hayes in the barn, and they are going to find their horses. John Harbaugh was pumped on the sideline. Wow. Wow, Rod Woodson. <laughs> and they're going to find their horses. Jerry Sandusky and Woodson with a call. Uh, Ravens radio. Uh, yes, the big first down conversion by Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson. Again, looking like the MVP uh, the Ravens need him to be this season. He threw two touchdown passes, repeatedly extended drives with his legs, and Baltimore topped the still slumbering Bengals 27-24. Let's now welcome in the great Nick Shook, who... Um, Looks like a man that's as pumped up as John Harbaugh was on the sideline after that first down. There it is. I'm still trying to find my horse. Where is it? Is it a, what kind of thoroughbred do I have? Is it an Arabian? Get a quarter horse. Horses. Appaloosa. Wasn't Rod Woodson like a head coach in uh, one of those spring leagues this year? I guess they still doing that. Yeah, still doing. Okay, what do you got, Nick? What were your thoughts? Uh, let's start with Lamar who uh, did not look very good in week one. The offense was a little sleepy for Baltimore, but this was much more like it, wasn't it? Yeah, he looked better this week. This offense is starting to find its footing with him because, you know, new offensive coordinator, new system and everything else. Uh, he had a couple of really nice passes downfield. He also had a couple of misses, but what I liked most about him was that he was able to continue to extend drives, especially in key moments. And when he lost guys like Odell Beckham, who exited the game, he went to Devin Duvernay. Well, he tried to go to Devin Duvernay. He didn't actually complete a pass, but he did go to Nelson Aguilar a lot. He actually ended up leading them in rece in uh, receptions with five. He spread it around. The offense moved well. The run game was balanced among their running backs. It just looked like an offense that's taking that next step 
under a new coordinator. And it was really nice to see. But conversely, the team they were playing, uh, it took them six quarters, the seventh quarter of the season to finally score a touchdown. So they were operating with a bit of an advantage uh, in this game. But I, I was more impressed by the Ravens and Lamar Jackson this week, certainly, than I was last week. Yeah, they're, they're 0-2 again, the Bengals. We were here a year ago, but a year ago they had five more points per game at this point, nearly 100 more yards per game. Uh, they were far better on third down. Joe Burrow is averaging .56 fantasy points on vertical passes. Like, I guess it's just like, oh, they're the Bengals, uh, just like the Bills and the Chiefs. They're a little funky right now, uh, but they're going to get right. Um, or is there real concern here? Are they even like the – where would you rank them in the AFC North? Mm. Oh, man. Um well, considering we haven't seen the Steelers and Browns play um, this week yet, uh, God, they're third, if not fourth. Um, it's The offense just has not gotten out of first gear. And, and you could tell in the second half of this game, really the end of the first half and going into the second half, that Zach Taylor realized, look, I got to like start from the first step, from the ground level here. We're rebuilding this entire offense right now because we cannot do what we did well in the last few years. So we're just going to dink and dunk. We're going to get Joe Burrow into a rhythm connect with some guys underneath, run some deep digs just beyond the sticks, and then maybe we can open it up. They never really opened it up because it was never there, and and they just don't look comfortable as an offense and as a whole. I mean, fans were booing them in the first half of this mm. game Sunday because at one point they had zero first downs. They'd run 12 plays. They were, I think, time of possession was four minutes early in the second quarter. Uh, their only offensive touchdown prior to the second half was a punt return touchdown. That was our first touchdown of the year was a punt return. Charlie Jones, shout, shout out Purdue. So not not a good situation for them and right let, now. But they did get a little bit better. They got better, and T. Higgins got on the board with two touchdowns. That's, that's a start after getting shut out yesterday. But to me, the biggest storyline coming out of the game for the Bengals, even beyond the final score, is that Burrow limps off the field Bingo. after their last possession uh, with uh, aggravated the same calf injury that took out his training camp. And now we're in the middle of it. We're, we're in the middle of the season now. We're, they're going to be entering week three, 0-2, and Burrow's saying if they would have had a chance to get back on the field, I would have been out there. But this is a really uh, big concern, Shook. And we just saw a superstar quarterback blow his Achilles in week one. Like, the fact that Burrow is dealing with a calf and going to try to play through it, it, it just gets you nervous. Yeah, and Rodgers had a lot more time to heal from that calf injury than Burrow got. So it is, without a doubt, concerning. Um, and it's calves are kind of, I'm not a doctor, but calves are kind of like hamstrings and that they can be nagging and that they can be an issue throughout the season. If he's limping in week two, I'm not feeling great about that right now. And if that's part of what's wrong with this offense, then that kind of makes sense because they have too much talent to be operating this way. I do, though, feel a lot better about where they're headed based on what they played, how they played in the second half, then I was at halftime today. But if this injury is going to be a consistent problem, then you have to lower your expectations for this team as a whole. Well, He's I, using one of those Thera guns on his like calf there on the sideline. Yeah, kind of wake, waking it up there. I uh, think his mobility was an issue last week. But, you know, the rain maybe is part of that. I'm, I'll be anxious to, to watch it here because he's a different player if he can't move. I mean, he he's a guy who wants to get rid of the ball quickly, but his superpower is he's so good at that. Plus, he can extend and make the plays when he needs to. What what fascinated me, and tell me if you could just see anything different here, Shook, is that Lamar got rid of the ball in 2.6 seconds. So far, a career low through two games where he's getting the ball out faster. And I, I think it's telling that Aguilar was like their fourth or fifth receiver, and then he comes in and is solid enough. Like, in the previous years, he would have been the first receiver it just from the beginning. So they actually have guys that can come in that, that are okay when they inevitably suffer Odell Beckham or, or their receiver injuries. 
Yeah, that's what I really like about this offense is they have surprising depth at receiver so much that when DeAndre Hopkins became available in the offseason and people tried to pair him with the Ravens, mm-hmm. I'm like, look at their depth chart. They got a lot of guys there already. I think it's a little crowded. And that crowded room benefited them today. But you know what really worked more than anything, Greg, was you talking about quick passes. It was everything over the middle. It was just crossers underneath stuff just you want to talk about getting somebody into a rhythm that was lamar jackson he was finding different guys over the middle all game they he took some shots but it wasn't super prevalent he didn't even have to extend the play all that much except in some key moments where he had to scramble away from the rush and pick up a first down so i really like the rhythm they got into and i think that they can be a better passing offense than they've been in the lamar jackson era i'm not saying that's a five thousand yard season for him but it offers more potential than we've seen from them to this point in his career and let me just throw it out there. Odell Beckham, yes, as we mentioned, did go out with an ankle. It's not believed to be serious, but again, he's a guy that's missed a lot of time in the last couple of years, and it's something to watch. And Burrow said he'd have to see how his calf feels over the next two days before knowing whether it will affect his availability. Yikes. That was the Sunday Drive presented by Toyota. Let's go places. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Let's head to Mile High with Shooky. Now, Washington can still win the game right here. There's no time on the clock. The Broncos have to convert a two-point conversion to send it to overtime. Drama, Sessler. A 50-yard Hail Mary touchdown. Let's go. Maybe we'll end differently than when I watched it. (laughs) Play action. Steps up, throws towards the end zone, towards Corlin Sutton. Incomplete. Broken up by Beckett and St. Juice. No flags. Game over. Washington wins (laughs) 35-33. Should have been flexed. Oh! Really? Yeah, this wow, was a wild one. Bongo. A wild one. Well, the game itself, it's I trust our producer implicitly, but it's it's about the team. Did the team have the moment they needed? We're about to talk about it. Bold Ram tip. Weinstein, London Fletcher, WBIG with the call. Sessler's not about it. Russell Wilson connected on a Hail Mary. Touchdown to Brandon Johnson as time ran out. But that two-point conversion attempt you just heard, incomplete. A crushing end for Denver and a heart-stopping 35-33 win for the Commanders at Mile High. Shook, I ask you as a fan, okay? And I know you're going to be, oh, Browns out tomorrow, Monday night. I'm so bitter because my Monday night. What is wrong with you, Dan? Uh, put yourself in the shoes of Broncos Nation. Would you rather convert that Hail Mary and then miss the two-pointer with a missed DPI to boot? brutal or never see it get to that moment at all as a fan what would you have rather had there never see it get to that moment Same. at all and i can totally tell with you, you. Um, of course yeah there, the the first example since you you know you're going to paint me into that browns corner i was at browns ravens 2015 monday night football when they had their uh game-winning field goal attempt returned <laughs> yeah. for a touchdown ouchers so, i remember that one. i've been there yeah toughy <laughs> tough sitch Definitely. uh your thoughts on this game so yeah the 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 Broncos getting it to that point was a miracle because this is a game after a quick start for Denver. Washington had total control of before it went mayhem. Try to like decide, break down like this game because it was kind of all over the place. Okay. So Russell Wilson and Sean Payton discovered that they could hit the deep ball. And Marvin Mims was their guy in this game. 60 yard touchdown pass, just a majestic, beautiful throw. And I'm like, Russell Wilson's unlocked. They can Sexy go deep. deep. Everything's great. They fell in love with that deep ball. They were up 21 to three and it felt like Russell got a taste of just what is so delicious in scoring big play touchdowns and being the star and forgot how to operate the offense <laughs> in the intermediate and short levels because mm. all of a sudden his processing slowed down. He didn't look I comfortable like in the theory. pocket. This is not 
the defense that you necessarily want to try and take a million shots on because their front is so good. Like you have to give Washington a ton of credit two games in a row where they've done a great job up front. But I mean, Russell Wilson was a different quarterback from half one to half two and really quarter one, early quarter two into half two. They blew it straight up blew this opportunity, in my opinion, because of the way their offense just ground in to a halt in the second half. And then they they struggle in the red zone prior to that final possession, which they hit that Hail Mary and have to settle for three. I'm seeing shades of Nathaniel Hackett. And then finally on the two-point conversion, you know what Russell Wilson did? He misses a crossing Jerry Judy open on the left side of the field, just like he missed a crossing KJ Hamler in that game against the Colts in prime. Hi, my name is Nathaniel Hackett. Thanks. Uh, it's yeah. nice to see you out here. <laughs> I, uh, it was not nice to see this offense. I'm defending the honor of the bongos here. If you give a game where one team is up 21 to three, where Russell Wilson has multiple bombs, including one of the wildest Hail Marys we've ever seen. I mean, that thing was a rainmaker, got batted up by like three or four different players, then goes in. Uh, and then you lose on a two-point conversion after you made an 11-point comeback in the last five minutes and Sean Payton's 0-2 at home. And in Denver, that feels bongo-worthy. That's just like bonkers. That's what bongos Listen, are all I about. Would never, I would never doubt uh, our producer. That He nailed it. I'm me. not openly yeah. doubting him. I could, I could just I, – I know what kind of games I like where, quiet. I, where the bongos yeah. would come out in my opinion. I have, I have an <laughs> argument against this. Most of those comebacks that you just described – are explosive. There are tons of fireworks. It's thrilling. This moved at a glacial pace. It was dreadful. Yeah. The last six minutes, the anxiety was just building the dread that the Broncos fans were going to have to go home and process the fact that they watched their team blow an 18-point lead. It was there. It was. I could feel it through the TV. Uh. And then all of a sudden, a Hail Mary where everybody's like, let's just leave. Let's just get this over with. Oh, my God, he caught it. Well, they're probably not going to get the two. And then they didn't get the two. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the look on Sean Payton's face said a lot to me throughout the second half of this game. Yeah. He just said, like, it was like, a, how many lemons can you ingest? Uh, I would say, though, flip side, like Washington, because the career of Eric Bietemi in Kansas City, it's like whatever they achieved, it's like, well, it wasn't really you. It's Andy Reid. Like this Washington offense with a quarterback that was completely untested coming into the season. This was a pretty great performance by Eric Bietemi. Yeah, very solid balance between the run and the pass. Brian Robinson had a very great day. And you know what, guys? I owe Sam Howell and Ron Rivera an apology because, as you guys probably remember, maybe not. You do a lot of shows. You probably know. No, we don't. It. We once did a segment, uh, What Has You Shook? And I was shook about the fact that he was going to roll with Sam Howell. I see why now. I see oh, it. I am sold. Yeah. I love the way this kid battles. Nice. He's a gamer. He's decisive. He's got to so get good those bongos. Arm. Yeah, so there's the bongo juice right there, if that's a thing. Uh, it's disgusting, out. but yeah. it's a thing. Now you've said it, so now it's <laughs> out there. Russ was holding on to the ball for a while, and I hate to put this too much on the, the offense because the Broncos' defense has really been a problem in both of these games. I know the score wasn't high last week, but per drive, the Raiders put it to them, and they were the problem here. But Russ did get hit 14 times, yeah. seven sacks. Uh, four times it, that the commanders got their hands on the ball in terms of pass defense, uh, passes deflected rather. And so that's too much. I know a lot of teams, we got young and sweaty back. It's back, Dan. Chase I, Young is a thing. Montez Sweat is definitely a thing. They converged. There was a great moment, and Washington fans have been waiting for this and were expecting a lot more of it, quite frankly, in the last couple of years, where on that uh, penultimate drive for Denver, uh, flamed out and ended with a field goal. Uh, young and sweaty meet at Russell Wilson. And there's a great shot by Fox of uh, young and sweaty, like screaming at each other in excitement after the sack, as you see Russell Wilson in the background, kind of 
pill himself off the turf and walk away. And it's like, that's what the Washington Commanders need for this defense to be special. Those two guys in concert. Now, here's the ultimate test, Mark. And I said, I set it up this way, Shook, as we say goodbye. Um, Broncos fans, I'm going to play you the Denver radio call of the Hail Mary from Dave Logan and Rick Lewis, KOA. If you don't want to hear it because you wish in reality it never happened, you're going to need to fast forward, what, about 30 to 45 seconds, Eric? Yes, hit the fast forward button three times to be safe if you don't want to hear this because I understand it can be triggering. Here it comes. Three seconds to go from the 50. Down eight, trying to get a free snap. Commanders don't jump off. They rush four. Russell in the pocket now bounces around, sets and throws he the has ball no up in the air. Expectation of descending well. The ball deflected. The ball deflected and caught. Touchdown, Denver. Brandon Johnson. Oh my lord! <laughs> Good Gugamuga. <laughs> oh, it's worth it. Sutton deflected it at the three. Oh, and wild play. And it was a great catch by Johnson, Johnson to kind of deflect it to himself, too. To himself. Wow. Um, That's a shame. It's good, a shame you got you lose a game with that. Good Guga Muga indeed. Shooky, thank you, buddy. I'm getting that printed on my wall in my house. <laughs> That's Bongo every day. Juice. Play like a good Guga Muga. Bongo Juice, Guga Muga. What a seg. All right, Chucky, till next week. Let's keep on moving on to Nashville. The AAF got him back into the NFL. And now he's going for his 13th all-time game-winning kick. It was from the XFL yards. that Rod Woodson right was in, hand. by the way. Oh. Lost his job. Morgan do do? Cox to snap. Not well. Oof, Ryan Stonehouse to hold. And the kick. Yes, Mark? Yes! <laughs> yes! 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 The, the redemption of Ryan Tannehill on a Sunday that started sunny, ended with rain. Love it. I got to know, Mark. What are you so upset about? It is a huge moment. For a Titans team that looked dead a week ago. But there was a 15 seconds. I saw and it. So he was 15 so, seconds away from kicking it. Right, so we, so we like we're the having level. a casual XFL <laughs> career history chat in the middle of the game call. But he hadn't, he hadn't kicked it yet. We were waiting for the kick. So I cut it a little short. He actually br brings up that he was selling real estate last year, too, uh, before that. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell Mark that. You've got to be even more mad. I, it's not a personal issue with the person you're discussing. It's just like, you know, the showmanship nature of, like, talking over the game call. Sorry, Dad. Mike Keith with the call WGFX. Would this have anything to do with the lock of this game, Mark, perhaps? I have something to say about that. Nick Foll kicked the 41-yard field goal in overtime in a downpour that broke out at the, at the wrong time. Titans fans are like, Maron, what are we doing over here, God? And the Titans beat the Chargers 27-24. Marky, uh, the Titans got a three and out to start overtime, then drove for the game winner. Uh, that was very nice, especially after week one's brutal disappointment. And yes, Tannehill having a big bounce back is a part of that. It is. Uh, you know, you mentioned, Dan, and I, I didn't really agree with your Herbert comments in terms of uh, like who he is and who I think he is. But you are right about the fact that we're kind of missing um, large Justin Herbert moments. This We're not that deep into his career, but like 
it's hard to find them. And you have to point to like, oh, maybe it's a Peyton Manning thing where these playoff wins and all this other stuff's going to happen. Like when they went to overtime, this was he 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 directed a, a a field goal drive at the end that tied it and put it in overtime. They get the ball first, and it's like a great a great chance to erase what happened a week ago, uh, where where the the pass rush against the Dolphins um, snuffed them out, and it wasn't all Herbert's fault, but the whole thing fell apart. It's like how about t- the whole entire team Chargers like. This is a team, it's a good Titans defense, but you have no business going 0-2 with the roster you have. You're in overtime, you get the ball, you're Justin Herbert, three straight incompletions. They look totally lost. And they, they made some big plays on offense in this game, but it's like, then you hand the ball over to Ryan Tannehill, who a week ago looked like maybe the career was over. Um, and Tannehill flamed this Brandon Staley defense for a number of big passes today. Mm. Um, and looked different than a week ago. He's like 20 for 24, efficient, um, playing behind a bad offensive line. Um, you're not getting the same exact performance from Derrick Henry in the past. But Ryan Tannehill in overtime makes enough plays to go down. And you're right, that rain started to come thundering down. It was like, <laughs> kick this thing as quick as you can or or wait until it ends. Because it's like the rain was going to impact this kick. But they go get it done. And it's like, who would have put um, their money on the concept that it would be Ryan Tannehill, not Justin Herbert, to get it done in overtime. And so as I was driving to work today, I was listening to this like preview show on the radio, and this one guy's like, he was uh, from Vegas, one of these people, and he's like... I love that you you always love like, the deep on the AM dial. Oh, yeah. Vegas shows where well, it's like, get, no, if they, I got one for you, now I'll give you this one for free, no, they, they, but they, if they, you want my super-duper lock of the week, you got to call this But you know what he number. said? He's, the, he, and it kind of, it kind of, like, it got <laughs> in my head and then I got to work and you're trying to do like forgot about it he's like I would never in my life touch the Chargers on any type of anything and I was like wait a minute I just locked this team and it's like of course they're going to go into Tennessee and win like how can they how can this team come out 0-2 I came out of this game being like I will literally for as long as I do this show never touch the Los Angeles Chargers in a lock ever again well what a disaster like, let me let me just say this because I I think it did get perhaps <laughs> I, we got to remember this. what a Some, disaster someone remember this well, that, when he Eric, locks the Chargers job. again um it gets easily misconstrued when the three of us are just you know babbling on um and, and having honk attacks but on Thursday's show, I was not saying I don't believe in Justin Herbert or that he's not a great quarterback. I was simply saying that sometimes I need Justin Herbert to, like, you know, just turn into a Superman that, that we talk about him as. And it just so happens the way it worked out is this game, it perfectly was set up where they're down three points late in this game. And, yes, like, obviously you give Herbert credit for marching that team into field goal range and getting that game to overtime. But I do have to – I'm going to pick some nits here – and say it's first and 10 at the Tennessee 14-yard line in at the end of the fourth quarter. Like, finish that drive off. Absolutely. Win the damn game. And then you win the coin toss. And again, Herbert, like, your team needs this. That was a bad, bad week one. And it's not just the quarterback. It's it's the blocking scheme. The receivers have to make the right reads and make plays. Three, yard, three plays, zero yards, punted away, and you lose. And it's just... Like, I know Chargers fans might get mad at those any Herbert takes. They're like, well, maybe he's not as good as all the people say. But then a game like this happens, and you look at the, the box score, and you look at the actual, the way the game played out, and it's like you just want a little bit more, and that separates the 500 teams from the true contenders. And right now, the Chargers are a winless team. I think it's just 
somewhat reductive because I think he's had those moments. He's among the league leaders in fourth quarter comebacks, game you know, game winning drives since he's come into the league. We could think of ones where he did it, and but then you can they, always do that. Like today's no, you can't, perfect though, example. You have like Derek Carr numbers. led that stat for a long right, time. Right, right. My my point though is that his his coach is in the crosshairs more than anything, more than their offense. You are right about that. More in their in certainly their, oh, yeah. their defense and. And just seems like who is Brandon Staley? Like there's a point in the first half where he punts on fourth and one in Titans territory. I know the end it ended up working out well. They had a coffin, you know, kicked them, corner kicked them, whatever, and they ended up getting the ball back and scored. So it worked out well. But it's also just like who is Brandon Staley? Here is Brandon Staley, who was not happy when a reporter referenced how their season ended last year, of course, the twenty seven nothing playoff meltdown. Ooh. Here is Staley. A lot of people sort of wondered whether that Jacksonville loss would. I'm not. I'm not worried about the Jacksonville I loss. Hate that the Jacksonville question. loss hasn't carried on to the season whatsoever. If you've seen our training camp or you've seen the way we played in the first two games, it hasn't had an impact on our team whatsoever. Our team is connected. Our team has played its heart out in two games, and we've lost two tough games. But there's it has nothing to do with the Jacksonville game. And if you ask anyone in our locker room, it has nothing to do with the Jacksonville game. And that's just the truth. It's a convenient storyline for you, and for everybody else. But it's not the truth. We've lost two tough games. But the guys in that locker room, the men in that locker room, they are finishers and they have what it takes. And we're excited to prove ourselves. Uh, Staley's shown a little personality and fight, so I do want to hear more from him. Yeah, we just lost a game in overtime, Jeff. So how do you think the mood is? How do you think the mood is? How do you think it is? It's tough. It's tough. It's a tough, a tough group in there. There's a lot of pride in that room. Okay? And we put a lot into this. And we got a good football team. And so we've lost two tough games. We've got to bounce back, learn from our mistakes, and be ready for Minnesota. I mean, it, first of all, it's a clown question. Like, it's such a weak question that I don't mind him getting mad. Not because bringing it up. No, no. Because yeah. he said a lot of people are saying. And that's a. I don't like that. It's either. a B move. I, I don't like a, that. Any reporter that ever says that, that says a lot of people are saying, or people are saying this, and then brings up a tough question. Just say you're saying. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're a word yeah. we can't say on this show. You're you're just being a shallow, weak person in in uh, that spot when oh, you're just talking, calm down a little bit, Greggy. No, a I th- shallow, weak person. I think so because if you're gonna have the <laughs> if you're gonna say that in a public spot, you stand on it. You're getting on them for not you know being tough and, and standing out, and you are like exhibiting the worst sort of like secondhand. I I'm afraid to actually say this, but I'm gonna put it on a lot of people out there are saying it. You're there. Just say it. It's fine. He'll respect you more for that, too. Like, it's not that big of a deal. He's frustrated because, like, the NFL is brutal. It's a short season. These two, like, have they played better than the Commanders on balance in their two games? Like, sure they have, but these games come down to the end, especially when they're the Chargers, and they usually end this way when they're the Chargers, and he's the coach. I know what you're saying. We've talked about this before. I hate when reporters open a question that way. Say that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's all. Um, Now, this is where you could bring it up. I'll just to kind of extend that a little bit. A lot of people are saying that a lot, not necessarily that the end of last season is somehow carried a hangover. Cause if that's what the reporter's question was exactly, I'm not sure what his true angle was, then I disagree. But a larger idea about the chargers and an inability yeah, to see ask the about moment. That. That's a good question. Like there's a better way to ask that question. And, um, but overall there is, it's fair to wonder whether the Brandon Staley chargers are ever going to figure it out or we're going to just be in this purgatory forever. Right. Why? Like we, let's just isolate what the Brandon Staley chargers are. He went on a long, uh, you know, explanation a season plus ago saying like whatever came before here is different now. It's not what we're going to be. And, 
that's fine. I like that he said that back then. I like that that's his mentality, and I think he's a smart, um, ingenious coach. Uh, but that's not been the case. The Chargers have been as chargery as any time before. And I think the one thing that bothers me today is that under Kellen Moore, it was like, we're going to, they didn't have Austin Eckler, but Kelly is still a good running back. You ran the ball for 2.9 yards per carry, 61 yards. Tennessee is a good run front, one of the best in the league, but you didn't find a way around that. And, on, and that was against the defense, missing Christian Fulton, missing Amari Hooker, Amani Hooker. I just think if you are on the flip side, Year three, Brandon Staley, like, yeah. what are you on defense? Like, you woke, the Titans awoke on offense after looking very lost for six quarters, five plus quarters with deep downfield bombs. Bosa woke up today. You did get the rush going, but there is no identity to this Chargers defense other than we're probably going to collapse at some point. Give the Titans from, some flowers, Mark, because I, I could hear Gravedigger getting upset. Well, he's right. This is such a classic Titans win versus a yeah, classic what, Chargers loss. Yeah. What did the Titans do here that they didn't do last week against the Saints? Well, number one, you got an efficient Ryan Tannehill who wasn't destroyed. I mean, he, he, he did inflict damage, but he looked more like Ryan Tannehill. And you are working with, you know, Nick Westbrook-Akina and, like, DeAndre Hopkins had a little bit more to do today. But they got the their passing game, made big plays when they needed to. And I thought that, you know, your run game made – they converted it in key third-down spots. And, like, the, the version of we got of Tannehill a week ago, you're going to go win four games all season. This Tannehill is the guy we've been watching. Uh, Derrick Henry owners in fantasy might have a little bit of a Tajay Spears problem. He's, he's too good. You got to keep him on the field. And he That's was on good the field. For them, though. Yeah, it's great for them. It's great for them. Uh, let's head to Gerald World. Third Not goal great. at the four. Ball near the left hand. Not great, Preston Bob. In the gun. Back is on his left. Snap goes <laughs> back. Looking to his left. Looking, looking. Checks it down. We got him. to one. Leans over the pylon. Touchdown. Touchdown of the year. Jake Ferguson was not no. happy with himself. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna bleep out. Did not catch the ball. You don't sneak an ad into our show. And <laughs> we're bleeping it. it. We're we'll, bleeping it. We sell out on our own. McCarthy took the ball when they won. Well, the, the company does. Yeah, we don't get a dollar in any of these. We're part of it. Right. You could have watched that play on NFL Plus, but we're not playing the sponsor on. Hell, Cowboys Radio. I'd love to drive a Toyota Highlander. I don't have one. It's not like they they gave them to us. But you don't get that. That's an idea. Brad Sham, the Sham God, our friend, with the call. Dak Prescott threw two touchdown passes, uh, which is better than Zach Wilson, who threw three interceptions. And his first start after Aaron Rodgers' season-ending, well, question mark, Achilles tendon injury, and the Cowboys roll the Jets 32-10. And he um, talked about it on Thursday. This was a, a buzzsaw situation for the Jets, given where they are and the way the Cowboys look right now. And it was that way. But it's interesting watching this game, how how close it, it was to almost being a real game. It was uh, Cowboys who really kind of bullied the Jets defense, which was a surprise. You didn't expect that. But that's what happened in this game uh, up 10 nothing. And the Jets offense doing less than zero until Zach Wilson plants his back foot and zips went into Garrett Wilson in man coverage, and Garrett Wilson does what Garrett Wilson does, 67 yards to the house, and all of a sudden it's 10-7. Dak Prescott then drops back on the next drive and hangs one on the sideline. Sauce Gardner reads it perfectly, uh, breaks on the ball, jumps the receiver's route, drops what is a back pocket pick six. So you go from 
potentially 14-10 Jets and a whole new ball game, and Dak feeling that uh, energy suck after all the turnovers last year to a new life. The Cowboys turned that second life into a touchdown, helped on a very, very tic-tac roughing the passer call and third down in the red zone, but it is what it is, and they never look back from that point onward. And, uh, boys, uh, Zach Wilson, a lot of the storyline will be on the Jets side. Zach Wilson's three interceptions, which I don't think is totally fair. For me, the storyline is more what the quarterback of the Jets was facing, which was a, a Cowboys um, front four and front seven led by Micah Parsons that looked unstoppable for the second straight week. And um, it's always a little bit different when it's your uh, team playing player X that everyone raves about. Um, but Parsons has been putting on on tape uh, for years now. Um, it was said in this telecast. Who was it? It was Romo and Nance. Nance said that he thinks, and he's called a lot of Cowboys game, that was the best Micah Parsons game ever, and he was a constant force and a nightmare for the Jets. He had that strip of Dalvin Cook, um, and it he raced to the house, uh, you know, ruled down. Parsons was ruled down, but it was still a strip. Like That was like defensive player of the year material right It was now. like MVP stuff this yeah, game, he's the just, way he played. Four quarterback hits, three tackles for loss, two sacks, a pass defense, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. There was, and you, and we're a little young. Um, even Mark is like a football fan in the mid-'80s. You weren't really, I'm sure, all there yet. Like, when they talk about Lawrence Taylor. I, I watched a lot. I was all there, like, in terms of Lawrence Taylor because he was on my television, like, every week. LT. You were a boy genius. I, I, and no, I no, no. I, you could, you, I would say that you could be a very dim-witted individual and yeah. see that LT made a difference. He was on NFL Plus back then, breaking down the All-22. <laughs> no, but Lawrence Teller, when you watch those old clips on NFL Films, like the way, <laughs> the, the immediacy in which he got to the quarterback and how he made offensive lines uh, look silly, there's a, on the first possession for the Jets, it ends with a Parsons sack where he literally is in the backfield in less than two seconds and taking out the quarterback. And that just set the tone for the game. And like I said, if sauce makes that play and it goes the other way, you never know. But overall, like this loss was not because Aaron Rodgers is in Malibu right now hmm. with his state of the art surgery uh, recuperation. It's because the Jets defense got its ass handed to to them by um, a Cowboys offense that looks very good and a defense that looks otherworldly through two weeks, look out. But I so I hear what you're saying. You can't just pin it all on, on Wilson or X, Y, and Z, but the, the uneven nature of this of this team right now on both sides of the ball is is what freaks me out because we have to point to had this one play happened, they would have had a chance. The door would have still been slightly open. It's like you're waiting for a very improbable thing to occur, and it's typically going to have to be the defense making some wizard play or scoring. The Cowboys had the ball for 42 minutes. Yes. The Cowboys had 26 first downs. The Jets had 12. The Jets were 1 for 10 on third down. The Cowboys were 9 for 18. The Cowboys had 382 total yards. The Jets had 215. The Cowboys had 83 offensive plays. The Jets had 46. That's a non-functioning offense. It has a lot to do with the Cowboys' defense, but I'm not sure it has a lot to do with who they play next week either. It's like you you have a real problem here, and the, my concern is because it's such a likable, well-coached team that you're going to get a locker room schism because the defense is going to tire out and give up plays after a while when you're out there for 40-plus minutes. you got to uh, run the ball. if you're. There's too many things to overcome if you don't have a running game and – whatever Zach Wilson is going to give you as a passer. And it's certainly in this matchup. Their schedule stays brutal. I mean, it's not going to stay this brutal. 
the whole season. Uh, it's a tough, tougher match, tough matchup against the Patriots, but not as tough as as this. But it's a concern when the main storyline coming out of the game is Rich Semini saying like the support, this the mood in the locker room is really supportive. They came in there. Garrett Wilson's got his arm around him. The T's are that tight ends are there encouraging him. Wilson said, you know, he's being encouraged, saying we got your back. The team's got his back. It's like. That's good. He's gonna. They're gonna need to step up too. But I, I do think that almost any team playing Dallas right now is gonna run into this sort of bust. Yeah, and you know, I said it in the summer. It felt like a needless gamble by the Jets to have Wilson as the number two quarterback. But you, but that this is the reality. And because it was the Jets, the absolute worst case scenario immediately presented itself. How Dak looked, by the way. Uh, get to that in one second like but he is not going anywhere and unlike mm. text threads that i'm getting like gotta bench him got you gotta put in the third string quarterbacks like no like they made their bed and now they have to find a way to make it work with wilson who two of his interceptions were when the game was kind of decided i didn't think he played as badly as the stat line looks i'll let you guys decide on the on the dak side great dak looked great again he, he should have had a pick six hung on him but other than that uh, he kind of did whatever he wanted. There were multiple times where the pass rush almost gets home to Dak and he hangs in there and delivers the pass. And even on a day where they try to run the ball, and, and especially once they were in control of the game, they run the ball 44 times, but averaged three yards a clip in rushing. Dak made enough big plays with CeeDee Lamb, who had 143 yards, that they just cruise. And I, you know, if I'm the Eagles, and I know the Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC, a lot of people believe this. Um, I shouldn't say that. Greg will call me weak-willed. I mean, all I'm I, saying, weak-willed. Not a lot of people are saying it. it I'm saying oh, it. Oh, You're yeah, not yeah. asking you have the to own it, sorry, Dan. Greg. Different. It's different. <laughs> but the Cowboys. It's also me. though, like that's a big spot. Like that's your fourth down decision that you're criticizing them for. That's your big moment, and you and you blow. I know where you're going from. The Cowboys and Niners, to me, <laughs> so far, are the two best teams uh, in the league. Let's move on. Let's move on. Anything else? No, just the NFC East hasn't lost a game yet outside the division. Hamana, hamana, hamana. 7-0. Let's stick in the NFC East. This will be a 34-yarder from the right hash. Gill in the hold. Kreider the long snapper. Big Whisper is not going to like that whisper I have to go into the sideline. The The anti-whisper community. Kick on its way. (laughs) Plenty of length, and it is good. Graham Gano hits from 34 yards out, and with 19 seconds to go in the game, the Giants lead it 31-28. Oh! <laughs> Bob Papa with the call, WFAN. Graham Gano's field goal in the final seconds, the difference for the G-men who wiped out a 21-point second-half deficit and a 31-28 win over the Cardinals in the desert. Oh, Cardinals. If they're sitting on own 13 in a couple of months, you're going to kick yourself about this one. Really, week one as well? Or maybe they're not as bad. Doesn't matter. We'll get to it later. Daniel Jones accounted for three touchdowns in the comeback, the Giants' largest since the 1950 season. Sizzler. It is indeed on. In New York City. I always like that. Do it. Yeah, that's a nice little. Like, do what? No one asked her to sing it that way. She did it on her. Like, do what? What's your choice? Do what? What makes it it on? You're in New. If you're if you find yourself in New York City, you could do a lot of. Good follow-up question. What's on? It's a mysterious song. (laughs) 
Uh, like this stadium in Phoenix or in Glendale sounded like uh, New York City. It was like 65. It's one of these stadiums where it's like just suddenly 65% sure. the visiting team. Sure. I mean, I, um, Greg, I think I heard you say that you, uh, there was a part of you, and I know you're not the Giants' biggest fan on the planet, that when they were getting cooked heavily by a Cardinals team um, where like Josh Dobbs looked totally competent, they were making big plays, James Conner was fired up and shredding this Giants defense. Mm. It looked completely lost. The offense looked lost. That there was a party that kind of wanted to, like, had this holy anger to come on and just tear the Giants a new one on this show. I'm, I'm, I'm Or dance on their para- grave. Paraphrasing. A trip I, to San Francisco on Thursday night. You needed to win been this fun. game. Yeah. Would have been fun. Yeah, I felt yeah. like you were more mad no, at the I, Giants I, I when was, they came back. I was furious at them. It was just like, because I think the thing I thought that was consistent was, like, Brian Dable, Avi, I thought he deserved Coach of the Year. He was, he, he, worked on so many different levels for me and like through six quarters, they just looked poorly coached. There were all these terrible penalties. The offensive line couldn't get out of their own way. Um, like Daniel Jones looked like one of the worst re-signings uh, of, of our podcast run. Can I quote the Twitter, the Twitter echo chamber out there? Yeah. Doesn't like Daniel Jones. I saw a tweet that said, just a reminder that the giants only have one year of guaranteed money left toward Daniel Jones <laughs> after this year. The, the, the great, like the, the shovels were out on yeah. the G-Men tonight. And then it just, it, this just happens. Like it seems with these teams that start this way, like it's the giants just completely changed and, and everything started to come to life. Um, it was a lot to do with rookie Jalen Hyatt, who caught uh, two big passes in this. Um, Saquon Barkley got going. We got Darren Waller involved and it was like Daniel Jones just looked like last year's Darryl, D- Daniel Jones and, and Saquon, who um, left late with a... Did not like that. Pretty nasty. Didn't look good. It looked like a nasty ankle injury. We'll oh, find out more. Um, and they played Thursday night, so that's against San Francisco. So it's like... He it ain't gets, playing. It gets dark all over again. Um, but this was this was what you were hoping from New York. And again, it came against um, the Cardinals. Although the Cardinals, honestly, I like this was a massive collapse. There's no way around it. It is a disaster of a loss for, for Gannon and friends because it's like this would have been a massive victory. And like I, I thought Dobbs, like compared to last week, made some big plays. He's only been on this team for 25 days. I'm not saying he's all things considered, he's done well. Yeah, I would yeah. just say that it's been or it's, it's that's that I don't think anyone understands how hard it is to suddenly have to go do what he's had to do. Um, he's a patch, he's a he's a placeholder, he's, he's a, a stopgap. Well, what does that mean? He's been sent to to be the yeah, fall guy. I, I, exactly. Yeah. I think he was but their best option. I think he was their best option. He wasn't playing fall guy today. And I, I honestly, like, we talked a little about James Conner. Like, he just looks really good right now. And so I think the Cardinals um, are not to be taken that lightly. It's just that what happened today kind of is like, where's the team's mentality after something like this? This was a massive collapse. Yeah, it'll, it'll test Jonathan Gannon as a head coach. But that's such a massive victory for the Giants like you have to manage the season yes okay it's not going to feel great if on Thursday night the 49ers win that game easily but these seasons are so long we make these declarative statements early (laughs) and they go like they go back and forth and back and forth and banking this one where you didn't just get embarrassed when it was 20 to nothing at halftime when it was 28 to 7 midway through the third and you get that victory is just huge in every respect. And these 20-point comebacks are like nothing now. Like, we don't even think twice that the Commanders came back from 21 to 3, and this one was 28 to 7, and then the Broncos came back 11, like halfway through the fourth. We just sort of like, oh, yeah, that's the NFL now, because that is the NFL now. Only this is the Giants' biggest comeback in 73 years. Wow. 
I mean, well, it's, you're right, though. But it doesn't it like, used to be over. It doesn't feel yeah. like we're not leading the show with it. Like, what right. a historic comeback. The thing I like about it, though, is it, there was no fluke element to it. It was second half, drive chart, touchdown, right. touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, you get Waller. It was a better and, team figuring it out, basically. Yeah. yeah. You get Waller and Saquon, the two best players on the offense, and Daniel Jones running the ball. Like, the three things you, you were hoping to build your offense around rolling together that that's encouraging and mega premature for me to say that Saquon's not playing Thursday but you, you know these players in the body language sometimes he's helped off the field badly limping and then he throws his helmet down when he sits down it, it had all the looks of a guy that just like you know the uh, the uh trainer's like yeah it looks like it might be a high ankle yeah sprain. like throw the helmet down because when you deal with an ankle sprain like that it's going to cost you mm. time and maybe stick with you I don't know if it's a high but the way he reacted made you think it wasn't a low yeah we saw him and I had never liked this where like still on the ground he just pounded the turf and it's right. like he knows more than we know mm. well I hope he's okay and Giants fans I told you we weren't going to do this until they won a football game and I don't know if you win a football game for a while after this the schedule is pretty rough for the Giants too and you take a look at it but you got this one so you get this one the G-Man! Yeah. <laughs> What's going on at the end of that, by the way? Uh, poor Zumwalt. He said his heart ripped out by these Cardinals two weeks in it's, a row. Yeah, there's a silver lining, you know, at yeah. the end of a long, painful road, perhaps. Is there? I don't know. Let's head to SoFi across the sidewalk. 30 under center. Backpedals, throws for Debo back in the game. Jennings never made the block, but Debo breaks a tackle. Debo takes it all the way out to the goal line. There he is. Touchdown! San Francisco! Wow, they're loud at Levi's. Sorry, that is so fine. Craig Papa with the call. KNBR. Debo Samuel went over 100 yards from scrimmage, scored that touchdown, gave the Niners breathing room in an eventual 30 23. They got that extra three at the end. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Win over the rival Rams <laughs> at SoFi Stadium, which, yes, was completely overrun by red jerseys uh, in that crowd. Um, Greg, Brock Purdy didn't have a touchdown pass in this game. I think it ended a streak of I bet, seven regular season games with at least two. But San Fran can beat you in so many ways. They can, and they, they just have players like Debo that can make individual plays to, to beat you. Same thing with Fred Warner, but watching these two teams play, my biggest takeaway was like, wow, these teams seem close in a way that they usually aren't when the Rams and the 49ers play. Even better Rams team. This is a ninth straight regular season win for the 49ers over the Rams. Of course, the NFC Championship would have mattered the most. The Rams got it done, but like yardage, yards per play, the way the drives were going, it all felt very close. The difference was... The Rams offense stopped in the second half when they had a couple misconnections where there was a couple drops. One Stafford's a little late on a throw. Another, a drop bounces in the air and turns into an interception. And then the killer was uh, Stafford's second interception, which Mark Sanchez in the booth blamed on Van Jefferson for kind of rounding off and fading on the route. I, I don't know if I'm smart enough to totally blame it on Van Jefferson, but I can't Eight say. Eight-year-old Sessler would have been able to diagnose I, I uh, He, he would have. Decisively. I can say <laughs> that whenever Matthew Stafford throws it to basically anyone but Van Jefferson, Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, like great things happen, and he trusts those guys much more than he trusts Van Jefferson through two weeks when bad things happen. But beyond that, it's like these two teams – Look like division rivals that are both a little spicy, that are fun, and an evenly played game. I, 
Puka Nakua, by the way, 25 catches in the first two games is easily the most by any rookie um, going back to That solves one problem for the Rams. They're like, who is our new number two receiver? When Cooper Cup hopefully gets back in a few weeks, you got a nice one-two punch. I, I would say that I was thinking during this game, like, I spent six months kind of unnecessarily um, totally discounting the Rams as a concept. And, like... <laughs> I'm yeah. totally wrong. I, I know I'm not alone, but I'm, I'm doing the great thing. I'm saying I thought that and, and couldn't have been more far off. Why sh- I should never have spoken. Magnanimous. Like, it, it's a long season. <laughs> like, things things could change negatively for the Rams in theory, but I just don't see it offensively. And I actually thought, despite the score, Raheem Morris called up a nice play and got more punts than I would have expected. Now, this is a lot of, like, giving of the flowers to the team that <laughs> lost. Let's give Kyle Shanahan some credit because at the end of the first half, I thought the absolute key sequence of the game is the Rams score uh, to go up, what was it, 17-10 at the time, and the 49ers get the ball back with only 145 to go. They go down the field. They're aggressive. They get a long pass interference call. Purdy had a pretty much perfect game, as Kyle Shannon pointed out, except he missed two or three open deep shots. That wasn't one of them. That was a penalty. He missed two or three open deep shots. Otherwise, played great. Great movement, decision-making, all that. Shanahan doesn't get touchdowns on his first two uh, tries, basically, from the one-yard line on throws. They didn't have any time outs left, though they were throwing. And I was like, you got to just run it. Of course the 49ers can get one yard. I don't care if you don't have a timeout or not. You could run it on first, second, or third. You're the freaking 49ers. And Kyle Shanahan, who's been so conservative over the years with his fourth down decisions, went for a big one last week, went for a big one this week. He got it. It was 17 all. And I just thought that was such a crucial moment because the, the Rams needed to get every break possible. They couldn't lose this turnover battle two to, two to nothing and give up that touchdown. And I think win. this would have been over earlier, though, because Purdy is just very consistent and, you know, totally believe in him. But like the two misses, uh, the Juwan Jennings on third and seven when it was tied 17-17 and the the deeper shot to Brandon Ayuk that would have, I think the game would have maybe just been less dramatic and over earlier. Sure. Those two incompletions been hit. Sure. You could look at it both ways. Uh, absolutely. But the Kyron Williams, who who looked great, by the way, Cam Akers was benched for this game. What, why are like, we back inactive? Here with I can't Akers. do it anymore. I can't. It's This is not this. I have a note on that because I was watching the beginning of this telecast. I think, I, I think at this point, though, he's not going to get his job back this year. I or I don't know why he would. Kyron Williams to me looks like a nice ball player. Uh, it's, it's this whole thing where it I I heard what they said. If you were you got to paraphrase. Yeah, it was the sideline reporter for the Rams. I apologize to her for not having her name. Um, but said that he wasn't like adhering to the culture of the Rams. Yes. In, in terms of accountability he wasn't and team and basically, I think team attitude. I think he was upset because Kyron Williams played way more than he did. Uh. A week ago. And that's the same reason why he was upset last year. He wasn't getting touches. It, it kind of slipped under the radar, but Kyron Williams was the essentially the starter a week ago, even though he didn't start. And there was something to that effect. But it's like, maybe just maybe just give up on him. But man, the things we thought that were good about the Rams week one, it wasn't a fluke. Tutu Outwell is actually more shocking to me that he's a real dude making contested catches. This little guy, I, I thought McVay was forcing him on the team. It was like McVay's pick. Everyone said it. Now, look, 13 catches, 196 yards after two weeks. Um, 
Who's that? Tutu Atwell, wow. the, the lightest player in the league who did nothing through two years. And everyone, including myself, was was wrong saying, like, he's only on this team because oh, he's, he's so kind of McVay's yeah. pet project. And here he is in the third season, on time, open, making really tough plays. Like, they have three receivers right now when they get cut back. And Van Jefferson's going to get the Cam Akers treatment. I think to the point, uh, what you were saying too, Mark, that it's like Sean McVay knows what he's doing. So he's he's working through this. I get Nakua was targeted twenty times. Yeah, like Nakua twenty Atwell, targets. That seems a little insane, Nakua but you know, Atwell and Williams have <laughs> twenty eight catches in this game. I mean, they they were they were in deep catch up mode for a while. Twenty targets in the fourth quarter, so that was part of it. But they they were throwing throwing early too. Brandon Ayuk got a little shaken up in this game. That's something to watch. He played through it, but didn't seem as effective. And I think McCaffrey's just gonna like run for a hundred yards every single week. Stay healthy, kid. Big journal energy here. Fox's Laura Akmin had that uh, nugget on Cam Akers not adhering to the culture. It's a good nugget. Rams. Let's take a break, and we'll continue on. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right. Before we dive into the next game, I, I think it's important, Mark, because uh, it. I think I know what angle you're going, but I, I just. What is this? It's about? just. It's you know. It's going to be fun just to hear it. Um, you said you were because you had lost your lock. You locked the Chargers. Um, did you have something you wanted to share beyond frustration with just locking the Chargers? Was there any any other comments you had? I can't remember if we didn't get to it or not. No, I basically said I'll never. Touch the Chargers that was, in oh, that a was the contest take. ever okay. again. He, he ever in he my declared. life. Okay. And I also have a strong feeling that I'm about to rip off like 12 to 13 victories because this I was I maybe was dealing in a, like in, a in a pond of apathy to some degree about the lock things. It's just like I don't know. It seems so impossible to pick these games, and now I'm irritated. Um, and I'm I'm refocused on this. You sound like Aaron <laughs> Rodgers saying, "Just doubt me." All the prognostications, give them, give them to me. I want them all. I welcome you to. Nice. I welcome us to move forward with the show. Real quick, guys. Yes. Um, I forgot to cycle in a loser horn earlier in the segment. Oh. During the uh, Jets game, because if you guys recall, oh yeah, the West Bros went a little. <laughs> West Bros. I'd say bro. Hit this. Go ahead. West hit bro, the horn. Yeah. Sorry. Hit bro. the horn. The Cincinnati Zoo. I went too. Is on fire. Um, Nick Wessling completely rogue. And, you know, I love him for it because it, it's my team. But he locked up the Jets, which was it led to some it got a little heated on the uh, the Wesley brothers text thread that we're on. Understandably, one of the brothers said to the other that I wish that mother never conceived you. Or I something. mean, it wasn't quite. Uh, well, Phil said it, just call it Nick's picks, which seems fair. Yeah, don't, I think don't that call part's the Wesley factual. brothers. Although, also, it's got a little you know sizzle to it. Nick's picks. Uh, but yes, uh, I think I think Nick hit back. Who's hard that that uh, I wish you weren't born. Right. Something along those lines. He said uh, that was the that was the conceit. Well, Phil said locking any team with Zach Wilson is irresponsible. Uh, Nick said your mom was irresponsible when she conceived (laughs) you, which is funny because obviously it's his mom, too. 
I think he wrote, thanks, well, bro. Well, yes, we know, Greg. But I'm saying, like, that is... <laughs> your mom. Uh, I mean, you just don't usually hear your Bill's mom's response to brothers. And you have to know the Wesley brothers to love them. To know them is to love them. His response to his brother was, thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I think the rest of the zoo have, a like, a very viable, um, you know, beef with Nick, who's completely I gone off the rails to pick the Jets I don't against know, the Cowboys in Dallas. I don't know how, um, you know, how it all works. And we're gonna, there's going to be an incredible theology podcast down the line. Uh, maybe our last podcast. Uh, but if, if Chris Wesseling, if it works where you're in the clouds and you just get to like watch what's going on, first of all, scary thought. But second of all, he would be cackling his ass off just reading that thread of Phil and Nick just oh, yeah. World War III. <laughs> I, I think he is loving the Wesleyan brothers being non-competitive for a fifth straight year. Uh, all right, let's move on. Trips right formation. Diggs and Davis in a stack. Shakir inside of him. Knocks on the left side. Cook to the left of Allen in the shotgun. There's the snap. Has time. Going to roll out to his right. Max Crosby in pursuit. Back across the field. Complete to Gabe Davis for the touchdown. Fourth and goal. Game over, baby. It's a two-yard touchdown reception. It's over. By Gabe Davis in traffic. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> like that. Chris Brown with the call. Bills Radio. The Josh Allen eulogies, premature. I repeat, Josh Allen death notices, not necessary at this team, uh, at this time. Following a four turnover season opening dud v the Jets, Allen got back. Josh Allen got his groove back. Almost perfect in a 38-10 route of the Raiders in Orchard Park. A perfect get right opponent for the Bills and setting for Buffalo. I counted, boys, just one um, capital D, capital P, dumb play mm. for Josh in this one. It was a scramble, I believe a second down scramble, where he attempted to leapfrog the entire uh, Las Vegas defensive line for a touchdown, uh, but he was at like the five-yard line when he attempted it. Do this last he week. did the same thing. I mean, if you want to check out our, uh, our special, you know, X's and O's breakdown of it on NFL yes. Plus. I'm sure that that'll get you excited. Uh, yes, he uh, he did it again. He didn't fumble though, and and uh, he didn't fumble last time either on that play. But no fumbles of any kind. He he played very well. Completed his first 13 attempts. Kind of reined it in, but kind of how you would want as a Bills fan him to rein it in, where he wasn't overly aggressive. He was or just insane like he was at the Meadowlands, but also was still Josh Allen. Uh, and um, that's his 21st game of his career with at least three touchdown passes. So Buffalo dominated this game. They finished 183 yards rushing, even though Allen just had seven himself. Uh, James Cook, who I think has looked really good. Looked great um, last week, too. Looked good against the Jets and looked excellent here. 123 rushing yards, uh, the most by a Bills running back since, insert name here, had 156 in December 2017. Fred, no, Fred Jackson. LaShawn McCoy. Oh, that was way past Fred. Um, and the Bills cruise. So nice win for Buffalo. It didn't start great, by the way. The, the Raiders open a kickoff, go right down the field uh, for a touchdown. Uh, but the game uh, changed pretty quickly after that. And um, I believe the Bills ran close to 50 plays in Vegas territory in this game. Wow. That gives you an idea. Of what well, there's a couple of things that I had that I love about this, that McDermott 
was very aggressive on offense and went for a bunch of fourth downs in, I think, four of them. And I think that Allen and crew converted three. Um, I like that. Um, the defense was nasty. And the one thing that is just jumping out at me is that if you are the Raiders and you're going to try to sneak wins here and there, here you cannot have Josh <laughs> Jacobs running for negative two yards off nine carries. Had Trey Tucker, a wideout, not bolted out around the end for 34 yards, whatever that play was, they ran the ball for 24, 21 yards today off of 14 other attempts. Yeah. I get the team what, what, that often struggles to run the yeah, ball. Yeah, like when, when they were effective last year, what was it? It was Josh Jacobs. Those couple games where they just hammered teams away. It's like, so it's cool. You, you held out. I'm sure you were working out. I don't know what you were doing, but it's like we have not gotten the version of Josh Jacobs that they were hoping for. Oh, and especially not the run blocking because they, the well. the, the they have the same line back. I thought I was actually too quick to be hard on Jacobs when I rewatched that game last week. I thought he moved well. He did catch five for 51 this week, but... Yeah, they're not going to exist unless they have a running game. And it's surpri- it was surprising when they brought back the exact same offensive line, but they also played one of the best teams in the NFL over the last three years consistently um, as angry, I think, as they possibly could be and, and played well. This was a yeah, remember Forrest, great get-right game. Remember Forrest Whitaker in Fast Times at Regiment High after they jacked up his car? Um, the uh, rival high school. Times. That's got to be one of his earliest roles, too. And um, I get it. You know, born 32, standing up. Fast that was before our time, to be fair. Well, it was, a little before it was our before our time, but it was on TV a lot yeah, because true. it was a classic of the genre. But that's beside the point. Whitaker was the star, like, he was like the Micah Parsons of their high school. And then after the rival high school jacks up his car, he just destroys the team and kills everybody <laughs> on the team. Um, that's what I thought about the Bills in general. And Josh Jacobs, yes. Uh, negative two yards in this game, according to Elias. First time since the merger that a defending rushing champion had negative yardage in a game. That's not good. And I know he didn't jump out uh, in week one, but I would be curious like what the next-gen um, yards over expected or whatever they call it would be for him because there, there was nowhere to go. Right. Um, this game was uh, a mad, angry Super Bowl contender that was getting right against an inferior opponent. And, and you just saw that. So I think that there will be better days for the Raiders offense and, and this team. Uh, but they just, I think, ran into a buzzsaw uh, in Buffalo. Not surprised the Bills defense did. I think it's a great sign, even even with the competition against the Raiders, that the Bills offense was that dominant. After that first three and out, Like they either scored a touchdown or reached the Vegas uh, one on every single drive. That's, yep. how, that's wow. outrageous. That is pure domination until they ran out the clock at the end of the game. That is pure domination. And uh, I, I'm curious what they're doing with Hunter Renfro. Like, he never plays for them anymore. I know he did really. play more this yeah. this week, but that he feels like a trade. After, like, months of speculation that he'd be moved. Yeah. Uh, Max Crosby, by the way, was totally taken out of this game. They miss the Raiders' Chandler Jones. And we talked about that. They they have a lot of stars, the Raiders, but the depth's not there, and you need some other people to step up. By the way, the only fly in the ointment, we were, we were laughing at um, other people in our company that picked against DeMar Hamlin to be comeback player of the year. Mm-hmm. So how could anyone even think uh, to name another person, the man that we nearly died on the field? We yeah. laughed at you for being yeah. so foolish and not remembering recent NFL history. He's a healthy scratch for the second straight week. That could be the only way he doesn't get it. Well, it's got to play. He's got to be on the roster. There were, there were whispers that like it was a tough thing that, but maybe because they were Active. deep at safety, that maybe he doesn't make the team. But it's kind of like you can't do that. He's so maybe he's sort of on the I team. I think you, but he's not. 
the he's not the top guy. If you look at the the roster, it totally makes sense. It's their deepest position. I would say the deepest safety position in the league, and they probably weren't counting on him initially when they were building it. But based on the way he played last year, as like a great fill in starter and a like a plus special teamer, he'll play. He's just gonna need someone in front of him. To just get, saying, to get hurt. Just put it out there. To, he, someone has to get hurt. In front we need of him. a couple game day actives. That's all. That's a completely logical statement. Or maybe we don't. James Cook, uh, he's going to be the better cook this year, maybe. Um, Forget maybe. Matt Milano, by the way, again, Still doing another it. interception. Uh, he's just He does things in terms of playmaking ability that not many other uh, linebackers can do. Let's move on. Let's head to our next location, which is Tampa. Bears and Orange don't give up the big play bucks. Two receivers to the left. Keep an eye. <laughs> On number two, DJ Moore. Fields takes the snap out of the gun, looks up field, throws the ball up field. It no, no, it's no, intercepted. No. Picked off by Shaq Barrett at the one. He's in for a touchdown. Oh. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. There's the takeaway. Yeah, they they tried to run that screen again. Shaq Barrett hung at the line of scrimmage and was able to snatch it one-handed. And they got some help from his buddies and pushed him in the end zone. No. Gene Deggerhoff, WFUS, Shaq Barrett, exclamation point, uh, on the victory for the Bucks, who take it 27 to 17 over the troubled, like a troubled teen, <laughs> troubled Chicago Bears fall 27 uh, 17 on a day where Greg uh, Baker again was cooking here and, and taking advantage of a Bears team that isn't really going to stop anybody right now. They're not. Baker was the more consistent, comfortable. Don't say it. Decisive. Oh, no. Quarterback in this game, making big-time plays. I mean, his life is much. Greg. Yes. This is Justin Fields' year three. We can't be saying that anymore. Well. Are we saying that? Greg was going off in the newsroom on that. I was really enjoying Baker Mayfield's performance because I can't remember him playing so smart and composed in a long time. You got to give Dave Canales, who was with Geno last year, some credit here. Um, But to. Compare the two. Mm. If Fields was on the Bucks, I I kind of have no real doubt that he would be outperforming Baker Mayfield. I mean, Justin Fields for the most part didn't. He was very he was up and down today, but they don't they don't have a consistent running game that they stuck with. The defense is a total shambles, and like there's nothing that makes sense consistently on that offense. He's getting it in his head that like, this is my game. I'm not going to run and we're not going to call any design runs. That doesn't make any sense either. And he's stuck in the pocket. He made some really bad plays, but that wasn't one of them. That was James Harrison in the Super Bowl burning Kurt Warner. That was a great play by Shaq Barrett. And the other interception came on a contested catch when they were down 10 in the final drive. He had ups and downs, but the sad thing about that was he was coming off by far his best drive of the year where he got them to within three points. And then the Bucs got a little conservative the next drive. And then it was like, here we go. Two plus minutes to go. Fields has to drive to you know, tie the game, and that's the first play, and it was just the air being let out of the balloon. It just feels like this Bears season is cursed two games in. 12th consecutive loss for the Bears dating back to last season. It's a proud organization that's been around since the very beginning. What? That's a franchise record. What? What? Wow. What? What? Yeah. I I saw people comparing, like, the Baker Mayfield-Mike Evans um, chemistry to what Evans had with Johnny Manziel 
uh, back in college. But I but I'd say this though, it's like it's certainly well, it's like it's certainly better than what we saw it, with Tom Brady and Mike kind Evans of undersized quarterback who's like athletic but not quite NFL athletic. But do you remember how frustrating? Baker's like we don't need we don't need to do that. But That's how fine. frustrating was the Mike Evans Tom Brady connection a year ago? Last year was a it mess. Was disjointed. For their I mean. Like, I, I got to give Baker some credit because two games in a row, like you're getting this. He's such a variance factor. Yes. Like you're getting the better version of him. So it's like good coaching or like he's grown um, mentally and not making some of the same decisions he used to. I mean, it helps 100 percent that he played uh, the Bears this week. And uh, who did they Vikings. play in the Vikings a week ago? But yeah, despite that, he's made he's played two pretty perfect games. This one was even better. Like. He had a throw where he's rolling to his left and throws it up to Evans. Beautiful throw. The The long Evans play was an arm strength type of throw that the ball got there so quick that they couldn't react to it. Evans does look better this year. He's thinner. He's he's moving great. He has six for 171. And then there was one, and this is where he won't get away with it every play, and it was like the most Baker play of the game, where he throws it sidearm while falling down like a half inch of his knee above the ground, and he hits it to set up like a closer field goal. That's not going to happen every week, but he really is playing smart. He's on a a heater. He's on a heater, and that's what makes him fun to watch when he's on these. I guess it's screaming to me small sample size. Um, and this is not going to continue all year. I'll be the first one, I guarantee you guys, to admit it. If Baker's doing this a month from now, then I'll be like, I'm, I'm shocked. But I need yes. to see it against other than the, the, the Vikings and, and today's opponent's I, Bears. I'm, I've, I think, killed Baker more than anyone on this podcast and not really been impressed with how he plays football. I've just been pleasantly surprised. I'm with you, but it gives me hope that maybe there's a medium here where he can be – a little closer to like where a Geno Smith was a year ago and give this Bucks team a chance. They are, hang around in the division. If he, could, if he could do that, they will. It, they, they are 2-0. and oh, And I do want to tell Rashad White, um, who we really got on for his expected yards Just uh, compared them. to replacement. Pop the hood and 17 for 73 today. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I think he ran quite well. I did. Well, Bears defense, but yes. Eric, yes. can you check the yards over expected okay. <laughs> on Rashad uh, uh, today? I got to say, I did rewatch that game last week with Tough that ass. with that in mind, and he did leave a lot of yards on the field. There was a lot. There was a lot. You're going to have, like, roaming mobs of criminal children in Chicago if this continues. Like, you, they're You're right. This can't continue. Jaquan Brisker got hurt in this game. He was in and out. Eddie Jackson got hurt in this game. He was gone. So, like, a bad secondary lost. Uh, more players, so that that was bad. We don't need that. We, Chicago doesn't need a roaming mobs of children, criminal children, criminals with bad intentions towards anything labeled Chicago Bear. Uh, do you want to tee up Todd Bowles? Uh, I would you? because uh, all these you guys laughing about Todd Bowles. He still got Shaq Barrett there, Levante David making plays. Winfield had a great game, and then you have the spirit of Todd Bowles getting the whole city of Tampa excited after the game. Let's hear this. Our stars played big. We did a good job holding the ball, keeping them out there. Obviously, we like to be better in the red zone, but for the most part, we were operating running past game. It's pretty balanced that way. We had a good time of possession. We just got to punch them in. Uh, we got a field goal block. That's not a good thing. It wasn't perfect, what but as we start to gel and win while we gel, and it was a good victory for us. Let's go, Tampa. Let's go. I could listen to that for 15 minutes. Look at my goosebumps. You can see them. What a rousing empath they have as head coach. (laughs) Greg, why did you do that to all of us? I think it was fun. Uh, He went for another uh, fourth down today, by the way. And he got it. Good. New Bulls. That's just doing what other coaches should be doing. Uh, Let's close things out with a trip. 
to Houston. It's a fumble recovery for Indianapolis. The call on the field was overturned, so the Colts have a fumble recovery, and they take over at the Houston 15-yard line. And running right side is Anthony Richardson, fake the reverse, turns the corner. He's in! Touchdown! Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Three rushing touchdowns in the first two games for Anthony Richardson. He faked the reverse and then took it off right side into the end zone from 15 yards out, and the Colts have two touchdowns on their first two drives of the game. Mmm, bittersweet there. Matt Taylor, good call. WFNY. Anthony Richardson, the rookie, rushed for two touchdowns. Unfortunately, on that play, they believe, or it's possible, and quite likely probable, uh, when he gets knocked to the turf in the end zone, he bangs the back of his helmet, uh, which leads to uh, an, his inability to pass concussion protocol. So he exits in the second quarter, does not come back. Gardner Minshew um, threw for 171 yards and a touchdown in relief, and the Colts coast to a 31-20 win over the Texans. That's the first victory for Shane Steichen. And I am um, in on the Colts early on this season. I like what Steichen's brought to this offense. And, you know, a lot of Henry in and, and Philadelphia, although I thought they looked better on Thursday night overall about what Steichen's presence or absence means there. But I certainly see a difference with the Colts um, and the Richardson side of it. Now it is two, two games he's played, electrifying plays in both games. Two games he's exited with an injury, so it's something to watch. Uh, but overall, if you're a Colts fan, you're loving the trajectory here because the, the team is compelling and watchable right now. They are. Uh, but the one thing about Richardson in general, it's like we don't have a sample size from any real like tier of his career. And I, I guess you wouldn't go past beyond college, but like the, his style of play, and I, I kind of hate these arguments because I think like it's always like, well, Lamar Jackson is only running the ball too much. Yawn, but like, uh, like it's it's like you don't know how durable Richardson's body is. He's a giant guy. He's powerful. He's physical. Two NFL games in a row, like you leave the game concerned about his health. Near the goal line, where he's kind of selling himself out to to score. Yeah, I think he's six three two six forty. Like uh, six four two forty. Six four two forty four. And it's like so it's not an issue of him his body size wise not being able to take the hits, but he's gonna take licks and it's just unfortunate. And hopefully this is just an outlier and he'll he'll play this upcoming week and and you won't have to be talking about this every week because really the best case scenario here for the Colts is Richardson stays healthy and Steichen and Richardson continue to to grow something here and hell maybe Jonathan Taylor comes back and you have something really cooking with this offense, uh, which has had had its way here uh, with Houston. They they only they had an 18 point lead at halftime. They managed one field goal after after that, but it didn't matter because the game was over. And Gardner Minshew came in and kept moving the ball with them, and that's why with a concussion and a rookie quarterback, like you don't need to push him to play next week if he's coming off a concussion. You can. You just got to be thinking long term. Gardner Minshew starting is just fine for a week. I thought it was you. You noted on Twitter, Dan, that Richardson self-reported, which is concerning. That that's even necessary because his, you know, he's a guy in a in a very highly visible play. His head slams against the turf, and did he stay in the game for a little longer? He did. Self-report. He did. That I mean that's an NFL total failure. Like. 
we spent a week on Tua Tungavailoa because it was just more dramatic, but it's the exact same thing. Yeah, it was, it, it was, I guess, tricky because there was, I'm trying to think, there was something else going on immediately after the play. Maybe it was a scrum that, that directed other people's attention away from it. And even after he hits his head on the turf, he pops straight up. He does right, like a backward roll. He's got his yeah. arms up and he's jogging back. But obviously there were cobwebs and some issues cognitively uh, that, that were building or sustained uh, after that moment. So I get that. Um, I also, I think sometimes it's, it's quick to just say, look at the system failed. There's supposed to be a spotter on the sideline, but you're also, if he's not woozy, if, if he's, it doesn't appear that he took a bad shot, how do you really, it's hard to know. It's, it's always going to be difficult. And I think that because you see so many plays every game that someone's head slams on the ground. Yeah. It's like. You should be checking a, a lot of them, and they're they're not checking. Like Josh oh. Allen got hit on a head-to-head. You saw it, um, Eric. Uh, a scramble where he again he probably should have gotten down, but then a second guy came in and smoked him, and they threw the flag on it. And that's a helmet-to-helmet shot. And you know where should the game stop down there? Like, uh, how do you play? How do you play this? Yeah. It's either the, or it's just take him out. It's it's, it's out. a lot of it. Let's be real. It's optics because. Head collisions and, and stuff like this is happening every play to different positions. But when it's quarterback and we see something right. visibly that looks wrong and it's like we're saying, oh, a lot, a lot happened after the play. That's that's um, fine if coaches didn't see it or someone else. But like they have people designated to look for this. What was going on there? Um, well, like I said, he was showing those outward signs initially is what I'm saying. I think it's just like yeah. it's a tough judgment call in general, but like. I don't know. Part of it is, I think, what happened with Tua last year was, like, it became this inflamed scenario. So it's, like, overprotecting the whole thing. And now it's, like, it's not a story right now, but it will be soon enough. Do you put much into Stroud uh, hooking up Nico Collins for 146, like Woods for 74, and Tank Dell for 72? I mean, yes, big I thought, fantasy day. I really think that uh, Stroud looked good in this game. Now, a lot of that um, chunk yardage was occurring when the game was kind of out of hand. But you know what? When you have a – this is two 21-year-old quarterbacks – in this game, uh, going at it, like any type of, you need them on the field to develop. Like I saw real quick, like Will McDonald, the Jets first round pick was a healthy inactive today. Hmm. And I'm just like scratching my head thinking to myself, Why? I understand they're deep at D line, but you, when you have rookies, they need to play to develop. Uh, so that was giving me some issues over there. Like you're seeing him get these, um, even in garbage time, the ability to, to, have success and throw the ball, build confidence. He went over 300 yards in this game. So, yes, I think if you're, you're the Texans on offense, you're feeling bullish about Stroud's development. I think one of the things I'm over um, in terms of um, storylines in our league, uh, you know, well, the Vikings or the Texans, well, they have Mike Flores or D'Amico Ryans now, so they're going to be better on defense. Well, you need the players and you need the time in terms of the scheme. And the Texans are not better on defense right now, and it's going to continue to be a major issue for them, at least early in the season. I would say one thing about, like, Stroud's performance. It, it wasn't just over 300. It was almost 400 yards. Um, the last 150 or so really was just very soft coverage. But so I don't fine, want to go too but, crazy about it, but also is nice to but see. But look at his environment compared to, um, like, rookies that are put into a better situation. You don't have Larry Mitunsel today. Their offensive line is like battered um, and not effective. Damian Pierce, uh, 2.1 yards per carry, 31 total yards. They barely ran the ball. And so it's all on Stroud and he's getting it done in like your second NFL game. And like the one thing that's always consistent about him is like, he's going to throw a couple passes every performance where it's like, there aren't that many people that look like that throwing the ball. I think it's just like, I enjoy watching him just throw the ball. The trick, I would say like 
you know, it's as good as an O2 start where you're not competitive in either game can feel because you feel like, okay, I think we've got our quarterback because plenty of quarterbacks don't light it up in garbage time or make the type of throws he did a week ago. Uh, but they don't own their first round pick this year. So it's not the best uh, way to start the season. You want to win at home against the Colts. That's one of the games on the schedule where you were favored uh, g- coming into the week. The, the line was You didn't really come close either. Right. So, so that's a lot of work to do. It's like when you don't own your first pick, it's going to start feeling very uncomfortable if the, if the losses pile up. I mean, pick up CJ Stroud in fantasy because Ooh. they're probably going to be playing from hopelessly behind a lot this season. Uh, last last note on this game, uh, it's about the telecast. Robert Smith, not my cup of tea. What, okay. For what re- name can you give me one just, reason? Well, just not not jiving with you. It's not a match. He's been back in the mix now for a few years. Just not for me. Okay. Maybe for you? No, I think it's like you are. Maybe for America? Yeah. Maybe the world? Yep. Subjective. I have the beholder. Great running back to Sunday Night Football. First <laughs> and 10 Miami. Mostert, the running back. Waddle flat to the right. They give it to Mostert. Mostert, big hole for Miller. Big old hole. 20, 10, touchdown. Large hole. He just put that in the fourth gear real quickly, and it was over. Ooh. little uh, car talk for Rosenthal. Let <laughs> get under the hood in the garage on his spare time. A real man's man. Think about cars either. <laughs> uh, Greg and Dan taking this one home tonight. J- uh, Jimmy Cephalo and Joe Rose on the call for WBGG. The Miami passing game was the star in week one. And week two is the running game that had its way with an opponent this time. Uh, the Patriots, who could not stop Mostert on that game icing. Uh, not exactly game icing. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, touchdown run. Uh, 145 yards on the ground for Miami and a 24-17 win over the Patriots. Uh, New England falls to 0-2 in excruciating fa- uh, fashion in the, the Dolphins, 2-0, uh, leading the AFC East early on. Greggy, um, so the game seems over at that point uh, after the Mostert score, and it isn't, though, because after they go up 24-10, uh, the Patriots uh, get a touchdown, I believe, off a turnover or a defensive stop. And then they have the ball. They're going down the field, Greggy. And just like last week, it was the completion that wasn't where it's ruled a completion. And then they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop the clocks. Let's uh, look at this. And they ruled incomplete turnover. Opponent's ball, Pats lose. Again, a crazy completion to the tight end. They flip back to Cole Strange. The lineman who appeared to get the first down, uh, first down uh, was given on the field, and the whoa, 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 stop the clocks. It is overturned upon review. That one stings. I I question whether you had the right angle to determine that definitely. Because if the, the camera is at an angle, how can you say that so surely? But this loss, as annoying as that ending was, is actually easier to take for me, than a week ago where I think they were the better team and they, uh, you know, to use like a Tom Curranism, uh, on their leg. Mm, uh, Eagles. That was a game they should have won. This is a game they felt lucky to be in, and that was one of those like crazy, throw it back to the Tom Brady era sort of miracle plays that would only happen during the Tom Patriots 
Patriot, uh, Tom Brady Patriot era, except now when it happens, you come a half yard short or as a week ago, you review it and it's an incomplete pass. And like every good bit of mojo they had uh, for two decades was used up. And Mac Jones is <laughs> suffering, you. suffering for the I'll, sins. I'll cue the violins it's, for Patriots it's fans It's like Hunter here. Henry's uh, catch that was overturned <laughs> in that Vikings game. I can't remember, though, in the past, like the national, like, Cognoscente being like, wow, the Patriots were kind of jobbed on a play. That never used to happen, and now it's happening all the time. But they did not deserve to win this game, and we can get to the reasons why. How does it feel to no longer have magic on your side? It's okay. They We uh, over-indexed as fans, I would say. I'm using we in the fans uh, version. I hear you on for that. Mul- multiple decades. You know who did pee down their leg, I thought, in this? And it, don't worry, Dolphins fans. This is going to be about you and positive soon enough. But... Um, the only reason the Patriots even had a chance here is I thought Mike McDaniel, who I like, I, in fact, I love the guy. He's a funny dude. After he gives his halftime interview, he's on national television with like, I don't know, how many people watch these games? I don't know. 20 million? Something like that. A thousand? Million. Big number? <laughs> um, he sprints away just looking insane. It was, it was wonderful at halftime. Uh, but in this game, they have a fourth and three at the New England 37-yard line with 219 to play. And they are up seven. And your offense was historically great in week one. And you're running the ball down the throats to New England in game two. And you send out Jason Sanders for a 55-yard kick. And Jason Sanders cannot make 50-yarders. The data backs it up. And sure enough, he misses it by a mile wide left. And that set up the pats. And I thought that that was a situation where McDaniel blinked. And it gave the Patriots a second life. And they got away with it. But uh, this should have never gotten to that point, uh, and yet it did. But on the positive side of things, Greg, the, like you said, the Dolphins controlled this game from the start. They were the better team. And uh, when you can now say Raheem Mostert's a guy that can pop off for 120 uh, when, when our passing game is being held down a little bit, uh, it shows you how deep and dangerous this offense is. Right. McDaniel gets a little a little knock for that. I'm with you. As as uh, someone rooting for New England, I was like, thank you. you thank, thank you for yeah. the field goal attempt. I was, they have a better chance at this than stopping a three-yard play. The only reason they stopped the third and one is because Tua Tungavailoa and his center messed up the exchange for the umpteenth time this season. Who is it? McGovern or Connor Williams, rather. I, I confused the Connors with who can play multiple positions. It had a couple other bad snaps that led to bad plays in this game, but this is so unpatriot. Like, and the, I will puke the next time I hear someone says like, well, these are, they're just making sloppy unpatriots like mistakes. So they're, they're playing mental errors. That's not like the Patriots. It's exactly who they've been since the very moment Tom Brady left. Like they get penalized a lot. They make mental errors. That's just part of it. But what they have done better usually is run the ball and stop the run. That's that's Bill Belichick wants to do that. They didn't stop the run on Sunday night. They didn't run the ball well. And even though Tua's numbers don't look great, I think Belichick threw some things at him and he had that interception. Man, he made a couple beautiful plays. He mostly made really good decisions. I think the first third down of the game, he steps up in the pocket, makes the right read where a lot's being thrown at him processing-wise, and I think he handled it, let's say, better than Jalen Hurts did a week ago. The drive at the end of the first half was beautiful where they only have a couple minutes, and he just has to go down the field, and he has a great throw to Barrio. So he still was the better quarterback in this game, certainly, even though Mac Jones is better, and they had the better running game. They outgained him by 100 
they're the better team at least through two weeks. Yeah, I thought it was interesting and remarked on it when we were watching in the uh, film room that um, Mac Jones, who's, you know, you don't hang the loss on Mac Jones, but it it's a lot of hard work for Mac Jones. Uh, and it's strange to me to see a quarterback in the league now that doesn't feel like he's an, a highly athletic player. And so I think they're just, they're just earthbound offensively, not because of him, but he's a, certainly a part of it. And Ramondre Stevenson, who's supposed to be the dog of this team, he has been pretty quiet uh, through two weeks. He averaged uh, 3.3 yards carry in this game. That's only after they did a little bit of work later on in the in the second half. For the most part, he was totally bottled up. Zeke is is not really a part of this offense right now either. So there there are issues obviously with New England. And it's. I think it's going to be a season-long situation. It won't be as. I think they can improve. I. I think that. Listen. I think they can improve, but I think last year was uh, an outlier that they were kind of um, laughed at for for how out of sync they were and poorly coached on offense. But I think it's going to be a grind for this team to score points for most of the year. I mean, if it doesn't improve, I. I, I have my doubts about Bill Belichick's future, but we can talk about that throughout the course of the season. I think. I think it will improve because it. It needs to improve when they're third and three, third and four. They can pick that up. If it's anything longer, they can't pick that. They didn't have a play over 14 yards. Their longest play of the game, Dan, was that catch that set up the fourth down, which mm. Mike Gusecki caught with one hand, and then the Dolphins quarterback, Cater Kohu, had it with one hand, and then it, it would look like Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. That was their longest play, and that was 14 yards. 14 freaking yards. That that moster. I do want to just point out a couple little sequences. So another time, like they got the Christian Gonzalez interception in the middle of the fourth quarter. At that point, they're only down seven. You're thinking the place is going crazy. You're thinking, okay, uh, th- this is where they have a chance to make a run. And their next three plays was throw to Juju, who has this, I'm the new free agent wide receiver with the Patriots look to him, which is not a good sign because usually when it starts bad, it doesn't get better. Incomplete pass to him. Then Andrew Van Ginkle, who will sign a huge contract to be a New England Patriot in a year, uh, forces uh, them into a long yarded situation with a big sack. And then they just throw a Mac Jones hope ball on third down. And there's a lot of Mac Jones down the field hope balls. Van Ginkle had a forced fumble earlier in the game. That to me, that that's such a, 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 telling sequence of where they're at even though they're making plays like the Mac Jones touchdown at the end of the game one one of them was on a play that was totally improvised and was a busted play and probably should have been penalized on the Patriots yeah. so they, they didn't get all the breaks and they got you know tough tough scheduling Eagles Dolphins but 0-2 at home to start the season and now and we'll get to it now they're in a kind of a, a wounded animal death match uh, going to the Meadowlands to face the Jets and god that that Jets are one and one so technically they don't qualify for your no previous they, wounded animal they do not they're not a wounded animal but also there's there's a, a depressing vibe around that game because it might be very similar to last year's Patriots Jets games where it's like very low scoring big time slog fest and and we'll see how that game goes they absolutely need the game and the Dolphins they get now they welcome Denver into their building and they're two and so you know, I think it's funny with the we talked about it all summer. At least I said it a lot. I think Mark said something similar that everybody was hyping up the Dolphins and Jets, and one of those teams was going to get picked off by either just the hype monster or some type of injury. Sadly, it was my team. The Dolphins, on the other hand, they're the team that looks like they could be set up for a nice season here. They need to not get picked off by the injury. We we know what I'm talking about when I say that. Uh, but right now, so far, so good for Miami. I just love what Mike McDaniel's doing. He's stacking. 
these creative little wrinkles he's added it all week all anyone talked about is the short motion that Tyreek Hill was doing you know from from either kind of inside the tackles and what kind of challenges it presented and for the most part the Patriots did well but then he was playing off of that that most dirt run partly came because they were so distracted by what Tyreek Hill was doing in the backfield and the waddle big play that he had down the field was partly because they were distracted by what Tyreek Hill was doing so I, I love McDaniel just stacking Nice play calls on top of nice play calls. Yeah, it's impressive when Tua can throw for uh, 460 and Tiger can go for 200, but maybe more dangerous to the rest of the AFC when they can win a game when Tyreek has 40 yards. Only one wounded animal game will be on the uh, week three slate. That's a low. That's a little weird, but it's wounded v. wounded. It's ultimate wounded animal game. Wounded v. Wounded. Chargers, Vikings. I mean, that's that's it. That's wounded or franchises. Wounded centuries. Is it possible that they both lose? I, I want that game. Play. I want that game. I think it's in play. All right. Big Sunday show. Thank you to everybody. <laughs> too, uh, too big. For listening. I think the listeners are going to enjoy. They like the size. Who doesn't? Big Monday coming up. NFL Plus. And two podcasts till then. Heed the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.